tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, Johnny Luby is with me live in studio. We'll speak to one temporary man who worked on the production team for the Oscar-nominated on Colleen Kuhn. Uh, should homework be scrapped for children? Of course, this was the rather controversial a statement made by President Michael D. Higgins. Uh, we'll be chatting about that with some parents a little later on as well. Uh, concerns regarding sex education. And again, this is a hot topic uh, at the moment. Our Friday panel will unpack the big topics of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Quick look at what's making headlines today. The Irish Times, they're telling us that the standards in public office commission, that's SIPO, is investigating a complaint that Sinn Féin failed to account for spending on its abu election database in its election spending returns. Now, the complaint to the uh, Standards and Public Office watchdog was made against Sinn Féin by a Fine Gael activist 15 months ago when the existence of the database was first uh, revealed. So, um, yeah, some people claiming hypocrisy then, of course, because Sinn Féin um, were so upfront in the critique of uh, Pascal Donoghue. Uh, also on the Irish Times today, we're hearing that more than a million BHI customers face price increases on their health insurance plans, with uh, market expectations growing that Leia, uh, the second largest insurer, will uh, hike its prices as well. To the Irish Indo, new €200 Euro electricity credit on table to ease uh, costs crisis. Households could get another €200 Euro taken off their electricity bills in the coming months as families continue to struggle with the cost of living. And a great tragedy as well uh, on the front of the Indo today. Two young children have died in separate choking-related tragedies involving food in Cork. A young boy choked on a piece of fruit believed to be a grape at his home in what's being described, as you can imagine, as devastating uh, tragedy on Wednesday. And separately in County Wicklow, it's believed that a child understood to be aged two years of age became ill after complications when eating food at a crash. So very, very sad news. You can only imagine what it's like for the families there. The Irish uh, Daily Mail, religious orders need to pay up if they are sincere in their apology to mother and baby home uh, survivors, campaigner Catherine Corliss has urged as the redress scheme has been hit with even more delays. Finally, a look at the examiner uh, today. And uh, we're reading that uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar is facing an electoral crisis with up to nine Finnegal TDs now expected to stand down ahead of the next general election. So that's a peek at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to comment on any of that 083 311 Johnny Luby is with me in studio Morning Johnny Morning Fran we weren't, we weren't expecting you live. Yeah I'm on our way to uh, grandparents uh, mess in our, of the school children that's going on all this week all over is the it? school celebrating grand uh, celebrating grandparents and that so I was in uh, Clonalty air yesterday morning and met a, uh, a nest load of uh, 
uh, grandparents there. And then we had Jordan to the, the school across the road in uh, Brian Clonolty. And uh, I had to go down there with Lucy to see her seat in uh, Parliament. <laughs> I was going to say in Parliament. <laughs> then I had to go up and see Dara's seat in sixth right. class. These and, are your uh, grandchildren, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and this morning now, unknowns to the young one, Faye, in, uh, down in uh, uh, Ballymitty. Is down near Wellington Bridge, oh, and uh, that's so. Uh, she uh, she's only six, but uh, uh, we said that we might as well make the run down, and that's it. So be it. Yes, it is. So, a great chat. We had a lovely chat uh, in recent weeks about grandparents and the feeling you have about grandchildren. You might even have a bit more time to spend with them than you you did with your own children. You yeah, know? certainly. Well, that wouldn't be hard for me, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we should get the allowance as well. Do you think, yeah? That just give, trolling on top of us and away you go again, you know. Uh, yeah. I love having them around, but uh, uh, when you have uh, eight of them around, uh, they like the Tipperary Fox sound. You don't know who's, <laughs> who, who's shouting here, there, and every place, you know. But, yeah. uh, look, that's wonderful. God bless them all. That's lovely you know. indeed. You have a couple of concerns. Poor old Matt Hancock. You want to have a go at him first of all? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not really having a go at him, but I see where he got between three twenty and four hundred thousand yeah. for that thing he was in. What's the called? I'm a celebrity. I'm a, get cele- me out of here, a celebrity. Yeah. Get out of here. Well, he got out of the British government in time anyway, and he got uh, four hundred thousand. And that's you'd probably wonder what's the all the furor over uh, uh, Leo Varadkar's party. Uh, and that, Do you mean by comparison? By comparison, Pascal. Yeah. I don't know who get. 200 euro and they throwing more or less eggs at each other because we see on another paper this morning there there was an, an egg throwing incident and by the way I wonder will there be any eggs in the audience on February the 11th is it in because <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely having nightmares over this friend but anyway you'll be terrific you know it's all sold out and people still scrambling I for know. tickets and... <laughs> I stop the lights <laughs> I look anyway the best of luck to all the lads for coming and you know if I didn't know you better I'd say you're nervous about it yeah you see, I was. Uh, I'd often do things and uh, uh, that in front of audiences, but uh, yeah. uh, this is a kind of a different bargain. And like, I mean, I'm with uh, huge uh, celebrities, <laughs> Muriel O'Connor, yourself, and the Ness Lord Moore, Mother of God above tonight. You know, uh, you'll be well looked after. You'll be brilliant. People are looking forward to, to seeing you in in all your best long <laughs> yeah, johns. Yeah, I, have yeah. you, will you buy new long johns for the night? Uh, I, I probably will. Yes, uh, certainly. Uh, I'd probably show them on the night. <laughs> that, that's even better. That's even. You might have to. Yeah, you were talking yeah, about you Matt, Matt Hancock and the celebrity. We'll say uh, of uh, get me out of here. You know, I was actually a, a judge in. in you know the Strictly Come Dancing? I do, yes. Uh, that uh, it was a wonderful way of raising funds for all the various clubs out there, you know. And one night I was a judge, uh, I think it was up in Templemore, and uh, naturally did have the floor uh, well powdered for the Cheche or something, is it? Or some mm. of them yokes, you know. But this this fine looking uh, girl was uh, coming through anyway, and uh, she was. Sp- swinging through your, under your man's legs and he was to catch her at the other side. It was next knee on impossible. So anyway, he missed her and she came straight across to us and uh, her legs were up in the air, you know. And I discovered she was a Bengarda. Oh, Lord. So your man said to me, he says, because uh, I winked at him, to, I'd go first. And he says, well, Johnny, well, I said, with what I saw there, I said, 10 out of 10 and that's it. So that was grand. Roll forward the, the, the clock then about maybe a year when uh, I got pulled. Right. In by the same Bangarda. Now I didn't know I didn't know no offer. Right. But uh, for not indicating to turn off or something and they were behind me. I hadn't even seen them. But uh she comes up and I let down the window and uh 
Oh, she says, Johnny Luby. <laughs> she says, you didn't indicate, but she says, you gave me 10 out of 10. She says, so go on. Indicating future. <laughs> so does the only... Uh, uh, oh, I love uh, it, yeah. Does the only crack that I ever got out of the street... You know, you're not supposed to call them Vanguard anymore. Sure. No, you're not, no, no. Who are we supposed to call them? Just, just Gardy. They're just Gardy. You're not supposed to say Vanguard. It's all gone. It's all finished, Jenny. Jeez, I must... Uh, easy no one but living out in Golden. We haven't a clue what's going easy on Easy no one you get into such trouble. Are you sure? I'm certain. I'm positive. Well, this is like that teacher case, Burke. This is something on Oh, Jenny Mac, don't go there. I haven't a no, clue what's going on there either. I don't know, but anyway... Yeah. Uh, uh, he refused to call a trans pupil by the new assumed name or something like that. All right. Yeah. That's no help to you, sure is that? No, it's not. No, but... Jeez, I was amazed the Vanguard has gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no such a thing as a Vanguard anymore, you see. Equality and all of that, Johnny. Big um, GAA, and wh- what about Kilmacud and Lens and the 16... P- yeah, I suppose, friend, the easy way to say it is is that, look, they had 16 players on the field. You're supposed to have 15. Mm. And that's it. The rule is broke. Now, whether it calls for a replay or whatever else, but the GA should have determined them, themselves and not let it up to the Northern... Oh, well, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, not let it up to the Northern crowd. The GA stood back, and now they're, ab- they're arbitrators, is it, in the yeah. whole bloody lot. They should have said, look, lads, 16 lads on, you know, uh, and that, and t- they were hoping probably at the end of the day that the dairy lads wouldn't uh, object. Mm. Because it, in, in another sense of the word, like between Tipperary and, uh, was it Cork or Kerry a few years ago, somebody put on six subs, you know, but Tipperary didn't object, you mm. know, they could have had because you're yeah. supposed to only have five. But seemingly, it didn't really affect the outcome of well, that. Whether it did or it didn't, you see, if your man, man was standing on the field, okay. uh, that uh, <coughs> they would have had to sidestep him. Okay. okay. You know, so like, I mean, you could say like that uh, you're 16, 16, they don't affect the play. Yeah. They shouldn't be on, friend. I mean, like the rule says 15. How does something like that happen? I mean, can you understand the confusion there? I can't. Oh, can you? No, okay. not at all. I mean, like, if you're going in as a sub, mm. sure, your man has to come off. Mm. But he didn't come off. But surely to God, somebody is watching it. I mean, you have an S load of officials, again, at uh, all these All-Ireland club finals and the whole lot, mm. that uh, the sub should be coming off. You see it in rugby and soccer. Because often they touch each other's hands coming on yeah, and sure, that kind yeah. of thing. And your man should have been coming off. Did they tell your man that he was coming off? I haven't a clue. But... Uh, right. w- w- do you think it should be a replay? I should, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. No, that. not. Once there's 16 players on the field and it was down to that tightness and the whole bloody lot, you know, and they should let the supporters, which won't happen, they should let the supporters in for nothing as well. Because twelve they made a mistake. Yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Well, yeah, that's Christmas <laughs> Ned was on his to say when he asked Johnny, was Joe Canning the best Galway hurler ever? Sure, I suppose he was, was he? Yeah, there was another Joe there as well. He was supposed to be a magnificent hurler in his day. That was uh, well, you had Joe Connolly, yeah. brilliant hurler, and you had uh, Joe Salmon. Uh, back in the fifties, he was a wonderful hurler as well with Galway. Galway have produced some wonder, some brilliant hurlers, and there's no doubt about it. Joe Canning was top class. I thought he might have stayed back last year with Henry Shefflin yeah. when he took over the role of Galway manager, but uh, Joe Canning was certainly one of the old. He scored some wonderful goals, yeah. you know, and a, a tremendous hurler, leading off, leaving off the ball, and all that thing. He was. Well, he, I'm just wondering why 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 we ask that question today. Is there something relevant about that? I don't no, know, no, but no. Uh, simply because there might be Galway listeners. Tuned in. Ah, you so see, they want that's... to get the opinion of the home of hurling experts. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I hope you're not including me in the experts. <laughs> anyway, have Buddha's notion. The, the hearty cup is always close to your to your heart. And now, casual, casual. Yeah, Paris, friend. Yeah. Look, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think I said it about six weeks ago. Could we have a situation where two Tipperary teams would come to the final? And I did say at the time that there's only one place to play, and that's in Simple Stadium in Tullus. And lo and behold, it has happened. Uh, Tullus looked absolutely brilliant last Sunday, friend. I mean, like the score was a three goals and twenty pints or four goals and twenty pints in a, in sixty odd minutes uh, was some scoring and then of course like they have the tradition which is a huge thing in Harty Cup hurling they have uh, uh, all been there done that like they have Padraig Marion with them now as well and like Middleton were a good hurling team but uh, Tullus CBS put manners on them you know and of course then during the uh, there maybe about six weeks ago you had the mid-minor hurling final and it was a great game between Mikerke Burroughs and uh, Holy Cross Belly Kale both of them got through to a county final and that was played in gold where over 2,000 people turned out and according to everybody that was there even Mikerke who were beaten in they won the mid but were beaten again in the county final by Holy Cross Bellicale. Everybody acknowledged it as possibly one of the greatest minor finals played for donkey's years. And lo and behold, you look at the tallest CBS uh, uh, setup, and here they have five from uh, Holy Cross Bellicale and five more from Mikerke Burroughs. So I was not one bit surprised that they're in a hearty cup final. And of course, then you throw in the lads from Tullus Town itself and Dorlas Og and the Southfields, and you throw in maybe one or two from Lockmore Castellini and maybe one or two from Knockavilla Kickham's Fergal, Fergal Horgan, the referee, his son is in goal for uh, Tullus CBS. So the only certainty is, is that there will be a hearty cup medal in the parish of Knockavilla or in uh, anyway. That's the only certainty with Fergal Horgan from Tullus and then the other three yes. or four. But uh, an all-known form, yes, certainties, Tullus, C- Tullus CBS. But they play Cashel Community School. First time in a hearty cup final uh, since the new school was open. We were there in 73 and got beaten in the final. I was in the school the other day and was talking to Brendan Ryan for a couple of minutes. Brendan Ryan is the head guy in there in organising this, that and the other thing. But his nephew is playing with uh, Tullus CBS. So they're tied up every way. You have uh, great players from Cashel itself. You have the Connollys, Donohue's. They're steeped in Holland. Mm, Young McGrath steeped yeah. in Holland. Mm. You come out to Nakavella Kickhams. Adam Daly, he was going to school in Rockwell there for the last three or four years and signed over this year at the Cashel Community School. One in all Ireland with Tipperary in the minors. His father was Martin, uh, who was the, one of the teachers in Rockwell College, a great uh, rugby Holland school years ago. But uh, then you come out to Golden and you have Young Armand. His granddad was Con Cash. Of course, the Armands are steeped in Holland. Con Cash won medals with mm. uh, Money Gold, but also two West Finals with Golden and uh, you have young Corvin and you have young Burdens and young Ryan Preston he's actually uh, uh, the wires in Cashel Cyril and John Oh right yeah yeah. Them, that crew oh, and really? Rhino Dwyer played with Tipperary and Dublin so he's bred in the purple and if you're passing through uh, Palace Green you see a statue there with a fellow with a ball and chain he's, he'd be a great grand uncle of young Keen Rhines so like and then you go to Borland they have three or four more on the team and uh, Cool Mine which is only a small mm-hmm. little neck of the woods between Cashel and Ting they have two young two fine players from there as well uh, they proved that they were certainly entitled to at least be in the final because uh, Erskull Reach only beat him a pint in the preliminaries, but they beat him a pint in, in a 
tough, hard game, which you really want in a semi-final. Mm. Whereas uh, Tullis made a little, but he will stand back and admire Tullis. Of course, they'll they'll uh, they'll definitely score uh, score from all angles. Well, it'll be a but, great game, won't it? Oh yeah, great and it's on on the Sunday uh, at one o'clock. And uh, certainly, I'm hoping that uh, that look, there'll be a huge crowd there, a bigger crowd than a semi than a, would be at a county senior Holland final. And I was just uh, looking at him, trying to. Uh, ascertain have we uh, the Hearty Cup medals that might be around the area mm. in Cashel we possibly have won uh, Mickey Burke of the paper shop in 1930 with Rockwell College the late Michael Burke yeah oh, and, uh, fantastic gentleman fantastic oh, yeah, and, yeah. and I heard my dad saying what a horror uh, yes. when Golden beat them in the first uh, Golden Kilfiegel beat them in the first see the West Division was the last division to be formed in Tipperary we had the North Mid and South and that but that was formed in 1930 and Golden Kilfiegel beat Cashel in a wonderful final outside in Bohar Trime, just outside Tip Town. Mm, mm. Uh, Jimmy White's pub is there. Great pub. And yeah. that's there a long time. Yeah. But I saw the field uh, at that and I must get somebody to take a photograph of it because it should be up in the hall in Golden simply because it was Golden's first victory ever uh, in uh, uh, the final in 36. And John Corvin's father, John Corvin again was centre back on that team and now his grandson is one of the leading lights in Cashel, Ben Corvin. Yes. Wonderful holder. But uh, then... Uh, that's Willie O'Donnell from Golden Hearty Cup final yes. in nineteen. Who, who ended up teaching in who ended in up Anacarty. teaching in Anacarty, who uh, beat Anna, uh, McCarkey Burris in a county senior Holland final in nineteen forty three, uh, when McCarkey Burris were certainly one to five to win it, but uh, they reckon without uh, the Hanleys and uh, the uh, big Jim Hanley and a heap more lads, uh, uh, there Willie O'Donnell himself, and there was mm. uh, uh, many more, Mike or Joyce as well, Tom Joyce, and them were on it. But uh, and all the Castles, the Ryan Castles, oh, they were yeah. wonderful yeah. horrors, you know, and many, yeah. many more. But uh, that was a great, seemingly a wonderful final. And uh, the Bice Manicarty put pay to the aspirations and hopes of Mike Herky Burris, and then, of course, our parish priest in Gold for years Canon Michael Lord-Dwyer from Pubble Hill in Golden but really it is in the parish of Knockavilla he won a hearty cup medal in 1930 as Did well you? yeah so uh, like but 1930 to 2023 is a long time this for a, a medal time. to come into this the area you know, so. and of course you went and missed out on it in 73 uh, yeah the one, I was like the captain of the <laughs> Titanic I went down but uh, are you still hearing about that <laughs> yeah but uh, look friend <coughs> of all the games I played, you can always say like that, like because not too many have a chance of playing in a Hearty Cup final, mm. and like to come out in Simple Stadium under the stand and the roars. Now it will be deafening. And who uh, did you play? Uh, St. Finn, Balsford and Ferris they were coached by Canon Michael O'Brien uh, they were going for four in a row which they did and he afterwards became Nicky English's mentor in UCC in Cork but uh, they had a fantastic team Tygo Sullivan and John Crowley and all of them you know and uh, we were shot Jerome White because he had got six or seven stitches in his head the previous in the semi-final that was the big thing the drawback I always thought was that we played the semi-final and won it on a, a Sunday we had no chance to settle down whatsoever. And the following Sunday, we played in the Hearty Cup final. So, like, the school was uh, uh, amazing. Like, there wasn't naturally, I mean, how could you teach lads and in a Hearty Cup final? Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and John Grogan had got sick during the week as well. And he was our big star player, you know. We had to go down to Torgia to get a young fella called Pafid Cell. 
because we hadn't uh, the great uh, part of yeah we yeah. hadn't uh, the players you know you'd, I said it so last week so he was week, only Mickey about Mullen. what 16 at I'd the say time. 15, 15 probably 15 maybe. you know but uh, look friend uh, tis frightening to walk out in Simple Stadium in Tullus the first time I ever walked out there was maybe in a Crow Cup final and that and you when you're running out under the stand which is halfway on the pitch and you look down you said mother of God it'll take me three pokes to get the ball over the bell there you know but uh, you have tip and leash on the Saturday then they couldn't have played it before that because of obvious reasons there's mm. two different councils involved and of course the tickets are printed for the tip leash game and that and they were afraid then naturally that uh, if cash whichever one won they were going to be on the no matter what security you had friend young fellas of 18 are going to lift the wire course they are. you know course but uh, you're just talking at the very start of the changing thing completely about the sex education yeah. why was a sex educator I'd get a boy and a girl in front of me and i say, listen, will you keep away from each other until you're 21? <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's Good it, night. Yeah, that'd be my sex education. Oh, I love it. Don't forget Shane Buckley of Kickham's. Oh, who... Shane Buckley. I, I look, I, I, uh, I could go through the whole lot. Yeah, also met with Tip Miners last, last yes, right, year. Yes, uh, right, Playing and, for cash. And, yeah, and Ben Corbin. And young Connolly, of course, uh, was captain of the Tip Miners. Like, hey... Cashel aren't bringing shovels and forks to this game. Cashel are bringing hurlies. And I have no doubt the community school, and of course commiserations to the girls in the community school who were beaten in the Camogie final last weekend. At the same time as the boys were playing a hearty cup semi-final, you'd imagine somebody would have put off something just for a few hours to get lads over, you know. But uh, look, there's a nest load of them, dear friend, that uh, you could talk about forever. You had a Leo Ryan from Dunnesky who won a hearty cup medal as well in 1959 when the Abbey and Tip brought the only hearty cup uh, thing uh, to Tipperary Town in 59. You had Father Christy Dwyer was on that team, his brother Mickey and Petey and all of those. Is that Christy Dwyer who's up in mine now? That's right, yeah. Why is it? I didn't know that. My God. And he's related to us. And I'll be using that on the last day when I'm getting into heaven. (laughs) I will just say to the man above, his father Christie gone through. <laughs> you want to come up with a lot more than that. What a coincidence it says that you being the last captain, uh, captain and Ben Curvin joined captain from... Oh, yeah, I tell you, it's marvellous for the parish. You know, he's joined captain with John Connolly uh, and that, but uh, I'd love to see the Hearty Cup. I saw that day on display, but it was as near as we got to it, you know. Isn't it great? Uh, I was delighted you remembered the, the late Michael Burke this morning because I, he, what a gentleman. Yeah. And, and do you know, a singer... Like an amazing singer, by God, tenor. I, he used to do a beautiful job on Guno's Ave Maria, and the, and a great actor as well. I saw him as Wattle Toes in in Nagao all those years by ago. By God, above it was a great place to go into. There was always oh, an unusual stop. smell like Woolworths. Beautiful uh, yeah. when you went to a uh, Mickey Burke shop in yeah. Cashel. It's always Mickey Burke's, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was indeed. And indeed. and the wife was a lovely person. Oh, Mrs. Burke yeah. was a pure lady, absolutely. Um, the maternity ward is opening. Up for the farming community. Oh, my God, uh, yes, friend. The maternity ward is certainly <laughs> open and, uh, for uh, uh, the cows calving at 1, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And the amazing thing about it, I was with a fella there lately and uh, he ordered a pint of Guinness, I think it was inside in that new pub in Tiptown, Lowry's. And he was just, the pint was coming in front of him when he looked at his uh, mobile phone. He just downed the pint. He didn't even put it to put it to his lips. Pint back on the counter. I'm off to maternity <laughs> duty. And that was uh, Tony Coney, a fine old uh, scout. He's about Tony, 40 yeah. cows kept, but he said to me, if I got a chance, and if Peter Murchin is listening, that's the, the sort of here in the top hospital. Would he ever come out and give him a hand at <laughs> the weekend? But it always reminds me of the story, friend. You know that uh, uh, cows calving and a young fella from Dublin was down on holidays at a farmer's place, you know, and uh, of course, do you ever pull a calf? 
Funnily enough, no, Johnny. No. Well, if there's farmers listening out there, and if there's a cow calf, and will you ring Frank Curry at Tip <laughs> FM just to come out and see what's to be done, you know, because you no, have to I, pull the calf I, out. I, I, no, I couldn't And the that. calf would be slippery. <laughs> Naturally, but friend, and you'd put on a rope maybe on the two legs. I've done all this. I have a thing called the calf and jack that you put the jack up to, to the cow's backside and pull out the calf. Ah, hey, listen. Anyway, this young fella came out to give him a hand. Yeah. And they were pulling for about an, half an hour. And then you throw salt on the calf as well for the cow to lick it. Well, I mean, friend, you, you have, you, and there you were talking about farmers should be taxed and you don't even know the first bloody thing about the whole lot. But, friend, <laughs> this, they pulled out, the, they were pulling out the calf and after half an hour the calf was still in there and the young fella stood back and he said, lads, he said, I want to ask one question, he says. How did he bloody get in? I was told to give you a message. I was in uh, Palace Green last night in uh, the bistro there in Willie Crow's place. Oh, my God. Friend, it is top class, you know, Willie's. But he, he, even when it was in Dundrum, it was the place, wasn't oh, stop, it? Yeah. You know, I suppose, friend, uh, we'd have to mention, uh, just looking at it here, uh, Michael Dundon. Oh, Noel. Is no, Noel Dundon. Yeah, yes. Michael written down. Noel Dundon. Yes. I suppose a wonderful uh, reporter, a oh, wonderful person in for uh, 25 yeah. odd years, you know, and uh, that wrote always brilliantly yeah. about Tipperary uh, Star, I would mm. say, and the hurling and football and all the other things. And I presume a lot of stuff had to be run by him because mm. I think he was one of the head guys in there. But to wish him the very best of luck when he goes to the HSE. Now, we're lucky in Tipperary. Then at least we know somebody in the HSE. <laughs> and if anybody wants Noel Dundon's number, I'll you give it to him. I have it because uh, it is essential to have somebody uh, inside. Absolutely. Well, we want to wish Noel the very best. What a talented journalist and writer and, you know, and knows all about history That's and right, sport yeah. and just fantastic. And of course, friend, uh, have looked at Tipperary on Sunday last. The best of luck to the footballers this weekend are playing down, I think. But uh, the hurlers beaten by a pint, you know. I was disappointed. Whilst uh, Liam Kell probably certainly would have liked to win that uh, that League Cup sponsored by Dairy Gold, uh, to lose a six-point lead with a few minutes to go. Uh, but, of course, with Cork, you'd always expect that, and Liam said they're still at it down there, you know. But, uh, look, uh, he'll get his troops together for the, the game against Leash. And, of course, uh, in the golf, of course, it is amazing that two guys that haven't talking are now leading the field. And you can imagine teeing off. I mean, they says it is a sport, for, a sport for gentlemen. I never played golf in my life, friend, simply because... Because I always reckon that when you hit a ball, once is enough to hit anything. <laughs> and here they are hitting at 66 to 76 or 86 times around a, a, a golf yes. course. And will they shake hands? It's like Roy Keane and... Uh, this is McElroy, is it? Yeah. And who, who's the uh, other and guy? Patrick Reed. Right, OK. Uh, it's like Roy Keane and uh, Mick McCarthy, I think, right. was it? Or yeah, something, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, will they shake hands? But eventually they did. Uh, and that. Yeah. But uh, they will have to shake hands today before the tee-off. I go along with Mark. Mark Twain, I think golf is a good walk wasted. <laughs> Simple as that. Can we get a shout out for the Clonmel Rugby Club under 14s playing in the East Munster League final tomorrow? Come on, Clonmel, it says. That's right, yeah. And there. of course, in the rugby, friend, uh, they had a Munster put up a good show. Cashel uh, probably should have beaten, was it Queen's last weekend? Nina had a good victory over Blackrock, and of course, Clan Mel here as well. Uh, a marvellous victory. I think it was over Brough. I didn't get to any of them games simply because I was uh, otherwise uh, uh, held up. Mm. And of course, uh, 
You're the tallest racist fan on last Sunday. They had a marvellous card. Willie Mullins probably had a couple of horses or two that are capable of running in Cheltenham. And then we came back to the ship and via the ship then onto a funeral in Clonolty. Mark Keane, the sympathies to the Keane family. Mark would have been uh, Connie and Sheila Keane's uh, young boy. He's only maybe in his 40s. And uh, then, of course, uh, a grandson of the great Dick Ryan who put Goals Cross on the map. Mm. And then we're talking to Mary Gleeses. And there the problems of the world are solved. There's no question about it. So, <laughs> the Illuminati uh, yeah. at Mary oh, we got, uh, Hey, we got what? chips at half price from Robert. From Robert? Yes. My old friend Robert, old Robert. from the van. And I'll tell you one thing. Uh, uh, he says, uh, will I put on salt and vinegar? I says, and keep putting it on until I tell you stop. Because, <laughs> friend, I just love Did the he have a tip for you? For, uh, for the horses? Oh, no, I don't want any says tip. says here, Michael Burke sang at our wedding 50 years ago with Sister Rosary playing the church organ. I was very fond of both of them. Very fond of Sister Rosary. Yeah, I wonder, was she the nun that uh, when they told me in, on about March the 8th in 73 to go up to town and uh, uh, get up a bit of support? Right. You see, for this hearty cup final on March the 11th. So as captain off, I went in and called into Joe Connell, the butcher, I think was there at the time. And uh, uh, what you call her? They're right across the road from uh, thing, the, she had a, Alice Butterbridges. Oh, Alice Ryan. Yeah. 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 And uh, that and called into then Cartons, my missus' uncle, uh, Willie Ryan Andy. Oh, very Did you know be, Willie? Be, I, I did, of and course. Liam Andy. So and they lived day. up in the green. That's uh, right, yeah. But yeah. I, I, then I had to go into the convent. Right. Of course, because now you see they're all together in the community. Yes, yeah. I had to go up to the convent anyway and drum up a bit of support, you see. And right. I thought it was brilliant, you know, being captain of the hearty team and looking for support mm. and the whole lot. And there was a girl, uh, she knew me quite well. Uh, she passed by and I was talking to Sister Rosary and she gave me a prod of a, some kind of a pain in the backside. <laughs> and I said, oh, Christ, what about Selenia? So she said, Sister Rosary looked at me, she says, uh, look, I'll tell him the match is on. She said, Johnny, <laughs> great to see you and a safe journey to you and enjoy the Mass in, in Wexford, isn't it? Yeah, in, in Wexford, Wexford, yeah. Right. Right. Listen, look thanks look very much. Look yourself, Johnny. Right. And the people oh, looking for tickets for the gig, no, it's all sold out for the 11th of Feb, so you can't Actually, if anybody out. wants my place, they can have it. <laughs> good luck, Johnny. Good luck, good luck. We'll take a break. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Best of luck to Leon Hewitt and he's uh, under 13 soccer team from Clonmel Town in their last 32nd National Cup game next Saturday. Johnny's son seemingly uh, taught uh, Leon in Clarehan School. So there's another tie-up for you. Now, yesterday we heard concerns from our listeners regarding the current sex education curriculum in Ireland and Catherine uh, joins me now. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Catherine. Good to talk to you today. You were disturbed you by what you heard, Catherine. I couldn't believe it. I was, last week I was having a coffee with a friend of mine and she got a call and she excused herself and she came back in and I knew by the look on her face it was something serious. I thought it was someone had passed away. She said, no, no, no. So she proceeded to tell me her daughter had rang her to tell her that a curriculum concerning sex education for seven-year-olds was going to go ahead. Now, they did give an opt-out, but what I'd like to know is, what has this got to do with a seven-year-old child? 
disgraceful. And what are your beliefs, Catherine? Do you think there shouldn't be any sex education within school? Oh, friend, come on, a seven-year-old, seriously. I know it goes on in secondary, mm. you know. But a seven-year-old child trying to process body parts, what the purpose of them is, and conception, and, you know, explaining about the male anatomy, and I, I, I just can't. You know, I can't process that. The advisory group to the department uh, telling us things that young people, for instance, Catherine, are becoming more sexually active earlier and, um, you know, they, they need to have this information. Like, what, a seven-year-old? Mm. Don't think so. Yeah. No way. This is nothing short round of grooming, in my opinion. Grooming to 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 what? Uh, do you, you... Well, they have all the, this information, you know. It's like saying the young lads, there's cookies up there on the shelf. Don't touch them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They're planting this in the kid's mind. And you might have young lads that are that way inclined and they're getting all this information. It's not good. And then they're taking religion out of school and replacing it with this. There's something going on somewhere. But, but do you not think they're confronted with all sorts of sexual imagery anyway? I mean, if they have a mobile phone, and, and some six, seven-year-olds do, they, they, they're they confronted with that all the time, and maybe they need some help to... I, I don't That's to true, understand Pat, that in it's, some it's, way. It's up to the parents, isn't it, to make sure they have the appropriate phone that can't get those things. Um, you know, it's polluting the minds of a child, basically. Right. So you don't see any place at all for sex None education? None whatsoever. Right. You teach them the basic things, you know, like years ago, inappropriate touching, no getting into cars with strangers or talking to them. As they grow up, you give them the basic, what they need to know. Right, but if you get into a discussion on inappropriate touching, you're naturally going to end up with trying to give the child an understanding of sexuality and of what's right and what's wrong but not not the full nine yards at seven years of age well I, I I'm gathering from what I'm looking at here is that it's it's a gradual approach to it because it's it's from um uh, the junior cycle right right up until what is it uh, the the leaving cert in fact so it's, it's a gradual sort of a thing the junior cert yeah but like seriously a seven year old child yes doesn't need that information yeah well, it's the junior. It's the junior cycle. It's from from them being about seven. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's inappropriate. Right. Definitely. And the fact that there's an opt-out situation there is that not? You know. There parents? is a lot, I believe, from what I know, opting out. Yeah. You know, it's it's not it's and, not good. And do you not think again with all this talk of sexual orientation and you know an appreciation of the roles of women and men in society and discrimination and all of that, that they need to be armed with information? Yeah, but you can arm them with the right information, friend. Right. And what what's the right uh, information? Just what I've mentioned. You know, right. there's few things that they need to know. Right, what I would have taught the kids and maybe other people, you know, but not not that kind of thing. A seven-year-old can process all that. Right. But you see, I suppose the point is, Catherine, they have to process, <coughs> excuse me, what they're being confronted with anyway. And even if it's not their own mobile phone, I'm sure it's other kids' mobile phones, you know. I know, but to think of it coming into schools at that young age, it's not right. 
a woman here says, or well, a listener says, that you don't have a clue. What do you make of that? Oh, I have more of a clue than she'd ever know. Tell her. Somebody is saying that you're completely correct that sex education for a seven-year-old is just not right. Let them enjoy what little childhood they have these days. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right. Good to talk to you, Catherine. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's Catherine, and uh, that's her feeling on sex education in the schools. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And now we're talking about that relationships and sexuality education programme in the schools. It's part of the wider social, personal and health education programme in post-primary school. But it has been uh, taught from junior infants up to uh, leaving cert. And an advisory group was established by the department to advise on the development of that uh, particular programme. Now we were listening to Catherine and her view just before the break. Eileen joins me now. Eileen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Eileen. Lovely to talk to you this morning. And you too. Do we get the idea that you're in agreement with Catherine, Eileen? I didn't hear Catherine, no. Fran, I didn't hear it, no. You you said something needs to be done about this, I'm not in agreement with her sex education at seven years of age. Okay. And why, why, Eileen? I think their innocence would be taken away from them, mm. you know, and I think I'm not against it by any means, but secondary school, I think, is the is the proper place for sex education. Yeah. I think when they go into secondary school, they'll know what, they're, what they're, you know, what their body is like and what their body is for and all that kind of crack, you know. And the advisory group did establish, though, Eileen, that, you know, young people are becoming more sexually aware at earlier ages than in the past and you know things are changing out there and they have access to all sorts of stuff that maybe we didn't have um does that make any difference to you no not a bit not a bit i wouldn't they're, they're too young it's seven years old they're only getting their face in in um primary school do you know what i mean mm. really no i wouldn't agree with that at all at all i had six children and the questions I was asked when they were babies, when they, you know what I mean, when they see the bump, they'd be saying, Mommy, you're getting very heavy. Why are you cutting all the weight from? And, mm. you, you, you know what I mean? You put them off, and then they'll say, when you go home with the baby, where did you get the baby, Mom? Yes. And what? how would you answer that, Eileen? How did you answer I those kind of questions? Just be honest about it. <laughs> I didn't. I went, I said, oh, sure, Daddy Falk... Um, put cabbage in the garden and I went out the other morning and I got the baby when you were gone to school. <laughs> that is the old way. And I, you know, yeah. that's the, the innocence of the children that I had anyway back in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, but of course there was great innocence then, but that has changed with what's available to young kids now and what they see yeah. and what they, witness, what they hear, I suppose, you know. Well, I suppose, but I still wouldn't like to be sitting down at the dinner table or maybe sitting down with a couple of friends and they come in and say, the teacher told me that I'm not going to go away. It's not what I would love to say, but, mm. you know, the teacher told me this and yeah. that's what that's for, you know. And Well, I think it's a more 
gentle way, in fairness, uh, of teaching it. From what I gather from what's in front of me here, I mean, they're talking about an understanding of physical, emotional changes at puberty, for example, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, but they, they also speak about um, a moral aspect to this as well. So it's not just going to be informative, but it's it's going to have a moral aspect to it as well. Does that make you feel any better? No? No, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Like I meant to say, it would have to be on a headed paper and it would have to be, you know what I mean, genuine, that the parents would have to, to um, sign into this that they're happy for their kids to get sex education because when something might happen in the school, should be there well the kids the parents signed for it and all this you know and and, um, and the, the, the availability of the opt out for parents I mean how do you feel about that that, that uh, a, pa- a parent can say look I don't want my child to be part of this no, program I would agree with that 100% would you? I would yeah 100% I would agree with it mm. because they're too young Fran, they really are. They're only babies at the moment, at that age. Because believe me, I have six, I have 17 grandchildren, and still at the moment I have a six and a seven-year-old grandsons and granddaughters, you know. Mm. Well, not granddaughters, but grandsons. Yes. And um, they often come into the bed with me and they put their arms around me and that. You know, they're so they're so innocent. They're too innocent at that age, I think. And are we wrong to believe that kids are different now, do you think, that there still is an innocence in, in, in young children? They are innocent. We are wrong to think that they're changed. They're, I don't think their little minds change that quick. Yes. They're, you know what I mean? There's nothing there to change their minds, I don't think. Yeah. So, some of what I'm reading here, though, has to be... Good, you know, the, the, an awareness of what constitutes a loving relationship, for example, you know, long-term commitment involved in marriage and parenting and family life. So some of this is is pretty decent stuff. I mean, uh, developing skills regarding making and maintaining good relationships and friends and the like. So it's not all about sort of, you know, the hardcore sexuality, I suppose. No, well, I didn't have um, a long-term uh, marriage. Uh, my marriage finished after 20 years, after mm-hmm. having six kids. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. And um, I kind of more or less was there myself with the kids because, well, he was working. Mm. You know, I have to, you know, given that day he was working, he really hadn't time. So I had to more or less bring up six children on my own that, in a rural area, you know. That must have and been... the school was across the road from me that that my kids went to, and the first morning my son went to school at three and a half years of age and broke my heart. <laughs> and I had to go in and stay with him. Did you? Was was he upset as yeah. well? He was so upset oh, that he couldn't go. He used to come home. At, when he got a break, he was gone. Out the gate and gone. Oh, God. And uh, you, you can know. still remember it so vividly, obviously. Oh, remember it, Fran, Fran. It is like yesterday. Yeah. It is like yesterday. Now, that was the way... In another, another county, I'm in Tipperary now, back home, mm. you know. But, and then my my second son, when he went to school, he went at four because they were looking for children for to keep the teachers there. Oh, yes, yeah. And he got a break and he came back and he was saying to the turf, like, there was only three, a little over two years between three kids. That, that my, that's the way I had them, you know. My God, you're a great woman. Um yeah. yeah, and um, he came home, and I heard him in the head just talking in the sitting room. I was in school, I'm home now, and it was only 10 o'clock break. <laughs> but he, he was so he was so homesick, obviously, and... 
Yeah, yeah, I'm home now. I'm <laughs> home. I'm not going back there no more now. Mom won't let me. You know, mom won't let me. Oh, my God, indeed, yeah. So, yeah. as far as so you're concerned... All, sorry, you know, all that little innocence, you know what I mean? Right. And what you learn in um, primary school, Fran, will never leave you. Yeah. It never leaves you. Whether you go to secondary school, third education, you'll still go back to where you were in your... In your you so, know. because of that, you think great care should be taken with whatever I is I think great care, and the teachers will want to be very, very careful how to come about it and how to, to join them in, how to get this into the kid's head, because it could, that could go different completely. They could think something else. And you don't know, like, kids could be out playing and... You know, if you could get a little lord, so the thing is a nice little girl. Don't get me wrong for a minute, but you know what I mean? You have to think of everything. All right, Eileen. I heard someone, sorry now, I heard someone yesterday that said that to me. You yeah. know, that um, you don't want to be careful. You don't know what children are doing now. They could be, you know, have yeah. the urge and rub them down, you know, or go for them. So the teacher said it's okay. Do you know what I mean? The teachers will want to be they, very, they, very careful. They get a wrong understanding of what's going on. A said, very wrong yeah. understanding. That yeah. is the word I was looking for, Fran. Yeah. No problem, Eileen. Good to talk to you today, and we wish you the best, Eileen. Thank you. And you Thank too, you. Fran. And Thank thanks you. very much for giving me this opportunity, Thank okay? You. You're, Thank you're you. welcome. You're welcome, Eileen. Take care. Uh, that's Eileen. Um, does anybody know a six, seven, or eight year old who can't teach half a class of kids sex? Um, Okay, I'm not quite sure. Let me read through that again. I'll try and make sense of it. Uh, I remember my son bringing home a letter from school about sex education. Mind you, it was in the sixth class at the time. I won't describe the situation when he asked me to read it for him, says Joe to us uh, this morning. Are they gone mad, says somebody else. Uh, A seven-year-old is way too young. They're still babies. The first year in secondary school when their body starts to change when they're 12, 13 uh, would be suitable, not seven. They're telling young children that they don't have to stay a girl or a boy if they don't want to. It's crazy stuff. What's the world coming to at all, says Brian, who's in Clonmel today. News and information's coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007 to speak to Emma. And uh, you can text and WhatsApp 083 311 Double one. Now, protesters are calling for a radical reform of Quilta in the wake of a multi-million euro deal with a UK investment fund. Uh, the Save Our Forests Alliance held a demonstration outside Leinster House yesterday and, uh, of course, earlier on this month it was revealed the semi-state body made a €200 million euro deal with Gresham House, a UK asset management firm. And we had many calls to the show over the last while from people expressing their disgust with uh, the deal. But what really irked farmers were the comments made by Minister Eamon Ryan yesterday. The premium comes every year tax-free. The sale of the lumber at the end of that goes to the landowner tax-free. That's going to lead, that's going to lead to a massive, massive expansion. We need, now, it's happening, because anyone would be wanting, you want your head examined, not, not to start investing in forestry under the programme that's been put in place. Tipperary Independent TD, Matty McGrath, joins me now. Matty, good morning to you. 
mourning friend and very fast friend could I just express my sympathies to the Egan family and the death of Father Egan, DAP in um, Latin Colin. Very sad One, news, Matty, yeah. Wonderful yeah, man. Great man, yeah. Inspiring work for years and it's very, very untimely. A sudden, I think, reasonably sudden, he was sick, I knew, but no one expected him to pass so fast. But a uh, big loss to the his parish and to his family. My sympathies to, to, to all about. Indeed, condolences uh, to them. You need your head examined, he said, if you don't think this is a good thing, Matty. I was in the chamber, sure, mm. I mean, and I asked him. He was also uh, said that we should move down the hill, the hill planting down to the good lowland. Yeah. And I asked him, would he move back up? and live with the trees and live with the wolves up in the hill that keep warm at night as well. So this is the man that needs his head examined. And he's a nice man, personally, I don't want to be disparaging, but the ideas and the attitude and, and the, the, the fog and the haze that he's in is just immeasurable. And the damage that he's doing to communities, to rural lands, you know, is, is, is appalling. I've been talking about the cost of living, but many, many other areas of forestry. I mean, the crisis in farming in forestry is before ever this, this issue with Gresham House. 95% reduction in the number of trees being planted mm. by farmers because they've, what was a simple one page, one liner, proper application, is now a 14 page. And then when you come to your first 10, 10 years, you might wait three years to get a, a, a license to do that. Your second 10, maybe 20 years, you might wait another two or three years. And then Finally, when your crop is ready to harvest, for you to see any dividends, see any penny for your investments, it's held up in many areas for two and three years. So savage delays. So it's, it's no longer attractive uh, for farmers. <laughs> no, it's not. And for him to say about the premium, in this case, with Cushion House, uh, and, and then they throw in the sequestration of the, the cabin, the big one. But in this deal with Gresham House, uh, it's a company elsewhere, probably that company or some other company they're involved with, that will claim the carbon sequestration and the, the Irish farmers and our Irish, uh, you know, the CO2, if uh, we were crippled with and we're, we're being owned about all the time, not bringing it down, won't make any dent in that. So mm. uh, this is the man that demented. I can't believe that he's allowing it. Are, are Quilter pushed into this um, no. because they have to substantially ramp up the planting, Matty, and there, there's no other way around this because jurisdiction of Europe here is very important as well and it says there can't be direct investment in, in Quilter. Yes, look what I said and that's where the bogey man, that's where one of the very big bogeys is. But as I said yesterday, I have this greatest respect for Quilter officials who worked with me and with Ronnie McGuire and many other yeah. elected officials and community groups. You see them down the drum pads every yeah. day. You yeah. see them in Knockman Down Active. You see them in, in Aherow Falls and all over the county, Bellingarry and up Grange. And on the ground and the fabulous amenities that they are and have developed. So we have no idea what land now will be sold. We have no idea with the padlocks and those walks. You know, the issues with insurance and the queen to have dedicated walks, uh, you know, managers and, and sorry, with people that will do all the legal work and make sure all the, all, everything is safe. Mm. But they, they, there is a, a loophole there, but it's the EU which we fight. And we have the President of the Parliament coming to address it again this Thursday. Uh, Robert Joe Kennedy was like a name. I, I mean, they're the problem. So allow- are we better to sort of take this argument to Europe and try and change that? Is that Would that be more practical? Two, 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 prong, 
two prong. One is, if created, uh, don't reverse this deal, which I believe the Minister and Minister Ryan Cabinet knew about this uh, long before they were selling us. Now it's only business to come out and it's just public pressure and it's public uh, grievance. Now, why wouldn't they? Uh, I mean, not that longer than, than they're saying. So we, we can disband Quilta if they refuse to uh, to reject this deal. We can reject any deals, you know. You can buy a cab, but you can reject it. It'll cost you something to break a deal, but I'm not advocating always breaking deals, but it's clearly bad for Ireland, clearly bad for our, for our future generations. It's not acceptable. Yes. Um, Richard Bruton said an interesting thing, though, and I love your response to it. Did he speak about <laughs> jingoism? So, you know, if, if it was a, any other investor rather than a UK-based one, would this not be as as contentious? No, no. Well, the UK does have certain connotations, especially yeah. when I'm when I'm holding my rally on Saturday about this the public image yeah. monument. Yes, yeah. but Richard Burton and I, his wife's in town, and I know her, well, know her family, so he comes down reasonably often. So I asked him to take a walk out to kill cash or a stroll up to you know to kill cash or indeed out to the, out to the galleries or knock me down and say, "No, Richard Burton is like a man to me that's retiring. Then this is good. We know." Painfully, and so many hundreds of thousands of families, and many even families and business people know how good sports funds are and what their interests are. Their interests are, and I hate using the words plunder and rape and pillage and taking up financially, is what I'm talking about. And that's an old adage that's there ever. So, look, Richard Bruton and others that defended, very few people defended this yesterday. There was no backbenchers to be seen. But uh, running fast about it uh, the night before, Sinn Fein had a motion down. The government were berating the motion all night. And then they accepted the motion. And then, but they had been told 10 minutes before the end of the debate by Minister of Conlogue that these deals were done, 6,000 hectares. I'm not sure to figure, I think 6,000 hectares. Yeah, that, had that's all very finished. peculiar because, really, in fairness to the, the, the Daily Mail, it was only until the Mail broke this that it became important to politicians. Well, I, I, yeah, I was getting a few emails about it and everything else. But look, I, I want to also salute uh, you know the men that I knew as a boy without cycling to work and had to be there at seven in the morning. And then someone said they came at five percent that the waste day stocks that lose the hour in all weather and drained those mountains and made ridges and set those plants yeah. and had their coal transfer. In fact, one even invented at the time, and the work that they did. Pass forward then to Quilta, the lovely interests that they have with all the timber and wire ra- railings and the fencing. And the, they were experts at drainage and doing uh, forestry roadways. The county council could learn a lot from always. But in the latter years, yeah, they've been their funding and forests have been abandoned. And you know, the storm does damage. There's been no big debate about the things of Bruce and should we have more uh, variety? Of course, yes. we should have. But but that um, wouldn't happen in this commercial investment, would it not? It would be a mixture of commercial timber as well as uh, indigenous timber, isn't who, that it? Who controls, who controls the, the mixture? Who controls it once the deal is done? Well, you see, the book stops here with the Minister for Agriculture, doesn't it? But we've seen how inept the Minister for Agriculture. We saw what happened to our fishing. We saw what happened to our beet industry in terms of the present minister. We saw what happened, as I said, um, many other areas in agriculture we've been cut, cut, cut. So, I mean, mm. the book stops. We get a bad deal. You t- sure, if you take it, Coffee's died down where we see that in, in, in Denmark, 80% of the fishing, uh, parts of the fishing shoals, and we have 10 off our coast. So, I mean, that's yeah. And, and, and to get back to Farsi, does it, does it not, um, is it not okay with you now that they're saying, okay, we're going with this, but we won't sort of get involved with any any other investments? Uh, where I, don't, I don't believe them. Because I said in my speech yesterday, this government and one before mm. are craving 
for to be involved with these big uh, finance houses. Craven to be involved but with But is there a choice, bank. Matty? I mean, we have 12% forest cover here, and I'm told the average in Europe is 40%. Now, they're, they're yeah. ambitious to get it here to 18% by 2050, but that would require an awful lot of investment. Can I just say to you that I made 12 farmers from our southeast last Monday in my office, and they were distraught. One of them had since had, had died six months ago, a woman that was fighting with Quinta because they had contracts that were seen to be dubious contracts from the very start. These people didn't have got a shilling, and they've land planted with 30 years. They're in arbitration with four, three to five years, some of them, and Quinta signing off of their orders every year that they have no legal outstanding issues. There's lots of them. If you're in arbitration, it's an outstanding legal issue. So there's a rotten sour taste in the tongues and the mouths of farmers, the way they've been black answers. I mean, I've been advocating for the last five years when this issue arose in 14, that when you plant, when you plant barley or wheat or whatever you plant, kale, you're entitled to harvest it, whether permitting only. Why, when you plant the forestry, you've 30 years like this, Surely, God, you should be able to go in there on the 30th day of the, of, the, of the 12th month of the 30th year and have the subject to, you know, prudence and being careful and not doing any damage. But they were tied up in, in red tape and farmers yeah. have fled away. From so, it. do you think farmers have a role then in increasing that forest cover um, to get to that uh, 18%? Is, is it down to, to, I mean, is that the way you see it, Matty? Yes, but uh, we can't be in these big companies, then, like I said massive financial houses who can buy the land where the farmer wants to expand his cereal. Well, can you see why they're forced into that? I mean, if they're to push, to, to ramp up the planting, that they, there's no little option for them. Listen, the proclamation will be read in Abra Hill on Sunday, on a few Sundays time at Easter, six weeks, eight weeks time mm. at Easter, and in all stand and salute. And that is for unfettered actors, ownership of our land. This is a very emotive issue, and yeah. rightly so. As I said, the film has been made by, by, by John Foley and others, um, I can't think of the author, uh, that as well as the preview and the grab, and I must get you uh, in to see it, mm. of the dying days of the image. And see those men and the ideas and the way they fought and fought and fought, and the way they were out in the hills and the mountains, but there was indeed no cover at the image monument at the time. And then Quilty came on. 40 years later, I did plant it, and my late dad had to go up and ask him to remove that from around the, the monument that would have been covered. But mm. look, forestry has been good for Ireland in many cases, but that's when Queen's had staff and had men, but like all semi states now, they don't have the staff or the maintenance. And uh, this is a long way to travel, but I believe, not an inch yet, I want to sound like the unions, we cannot allow this to anybody, yeah. but it's to be for America. It, it is interesting to read, though, Maddie, that the the, the, the Back Fund. Um, it's not the government's preferred option. And they keep saying that, but yet, yet they're pushing it, forcing it through. First yeah. of all, they told us, she should have told us in the door only last week that it wasn't, it hadn't come before Cambridge, no amendment had come before Cambridge. It was only Tuesday night debating the door. We'd leaned, or Wednesday night debating the door. We'd, Tuesday night, so we'd leaned, sorry, Wednesday was get mixed up. We'd leaned that uh, there was mm. four to 6,000 hectares already sold, a done deal. This is why I don't like about it. Look at the banks again. I mean, the way they were trying to go cashless and trying to close all the ba uh, banks again. And look at the profits they're making. They can't blame any EU rules for competition. And look at them, they're still at it. And I mean, uh, we thought in before Minister Dunhoe left office, he signed off on the reinstating the bankers' bonuses that are now up to 50 or 80 bankers, getting mm. 1.5 million up to 1.8 million. And, and you know what they'll tell you about that, Matthew, that you will not get the kind of talent necessary unless you pay this money? Baloney. Baloney. That's what they
that is. If anybody wants has to get a million for his expertise, let him after whatever matter he likes and let him sink or swing. Tell the general to RC personalities, mm. friend, and the money to get and you're doing their job there as good as any man. I mean, we have to cut it short according to measure. So this is only all pie in the sky. We've been led to believe this by the elite. The problem I have is we have we have uh, all these NGOs and doing policies and changing things and and these things are done deal before it's revealed to the doll or it's revealed to anybody. And depending on an article in the exam, you say the really motivated people, a mm. uh, secret piece of research that was done and handed to Richard White Barrett. That's the way things are gone now. I had a document presented to me in early December that the whole outside the whole saga with Pascal Donahoe. I'm not a person. I don't like those things, to be honest. And who, so many men never made a mistake. But I, I didn't do anything with it. But next thing came out with different papers. And look where it ended up. So I'm just making the point is yeah. no, the media, national media, aren't watching either. And 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 holding to account these governments, but look, uh, the Greens above all that prided themselves in 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 in, in uh, you know restoring uh, timber and and and, and restoring. Um, yeah, well, it's that, part of their overall plan for climate yes. change, I suppose. Yeah, and that, but see, they're, they're looking at small things like stopping the number of cars, ten cars per village. Self-based and window boxes, um, uh, wolves back into things. But so they're losing all the battles where they should be losing. It just happens on their watch. I mean, some people hack it now. And I reminded her, she's privileged to be in the door talking to us because she's never got elected to the door. She's a very special position. And she has been an impossibility inside in, inside in the department. And nobody can deal with her. And farmers are literally at breaking point that they had uh, loans uh, to service and, and had to have thing of the crop. Uh, to, to pay them loans. They hear you know, with Quilta. People that have to do contracts with Quilta, they have no idea what... So is it, is it time to, to look at Quilta and, I mean, has it to be very, very heavily changed at this point, do you think? Yes, I said it yesterday, even if it's disbanded. Set up a new unit that serves the farmers. That serves the first of all the state or right. any state that didn't serve the farmers. Well, even to set up a new unit, Matty, I mean, they still have the same obligation to tackle climate change through forestry. Well, I know no issue with that. Yeah, so my yeah. point is, and they can't do honour the deal did because they're no longer there. They're defunct. I, I'm just saying to you that Quilta aren't clean in this. There's hundreds of farmers that have contracts that, that yeah. timber's been taken off their land and they don't know how, much, how many tonnage, they don't know where it's going to and what the, what the cost of harvesting, what the output, the, the volume of it and, and to what factor it is going and the cost of fencing and drainage and tinning. The farmers have been like and have been. And that's why so many lined up for arbitration. A listener has a question for you. Where did yeah. this notion of the licence to cut come from in relation to harvesting time? My understanding is that pre-planting, there was no mention of having to have a licence. Is that, is oh, that true? Oh, 70, 30 years ago. No, it was not. Or 20 years ago. Right. This is all part of the new bureaucracy that has grown up around anything state now. And it's an obbling up. We see the same with planning pushes. We see the same with everything. And well, that's to give people an opportunity to to object, is it not? I mean, if, Yes, but, but, and that's fine, but it's like putting a, you're buying a car mm. and you're driving a car for five years and then someone decides that that car's too big for your road, the object, or something, something to be that, I'm, I'm probably trivialising it. But I make the point is, how can you be in regulation about some planning for something that already exists? If you entered a contract in, in 1980 or 1990 and there was no uh, obligation to you have obligations to keep it safe and to keep it free from dieback, which mm. is sweet, and the state failed to deal with your obligations to fence it for people's sheep to keep out of it, and above all, to have fire breaks. 
but you don't have obligations to get a planning and then it's putting on regulations when the plant But, but any, anything evolves I suppose Matty with a changing world you know like... uh, But there's too much evolving here and what's happening is our people have been driven off the land mm. our amenities we, we, we should lose them but above all above all we, we have enough sold off we, we, God knows what we haven't sold in this country but we certainly have enough of our our, our you know houses and, and housing stock and look at the, the, the big housing developments have been bought up by these financial houses as well they're not doing that for, for the Irish people they're doing that for naked profit yeah well Gre- we Gresham get... House in fairness made, made the point that there's a lot of interest in this kind of investment there's a lot of people wanting to put their money into this so. you see it's all been driven by big companies mm. and conglomerates maybe in America maybe anywhere that want to get the sequestration rights. Mm-hmm. And Gresham House would make the money. They will have that sequestration rights for up of their cabin. And then they will send that off with massive money. And the companies that are causing the pollution are offsetting the, 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 the good work that our trees are doing here in Ireland by buying it up at an auction house. Can I ask you before I let you go about the, the breach of election rules and uh, Pascal and now Sinn Féin all over the newspapers this morning with, with breaches as well. What, what do you make of what's happening? Because a lot of what we're hearing, Matty, is that they prefer the Doyle to be dealing with the, the big issues of housing and health and all of that. Yes, just before we go to that, can I just again ask people to come to the mountain, you're into the knock me down mountain on Sunday and have to yes. to express their feelings, get in a bit of a walk, wonderful place and so what to, time is that, Matty? At two thirty. Two thirty okay. at the Knockmill Downs mountain okay. and, and and thanks to Queen for the road and access up there. Because that mountain was built, there was no road up. Mm. It was only mm. up from elsewhere, up from the other road, the military road. Look, mm. no, we to move on with the other issue. Are we going to have you know, there was talks yesterday morning that Sinn Féin might put down a private member's motion. But not one of us, I suppose, would say that we didn't make a mistake, didn't overlook something, and to be fair about it. But you know, it takes up that too much time. But look, as I said in the door last week, uh, this man, I would believe, I bumped into Bertie and at Mass in Dublin Sunday evening, or Tuesday evening. Uh, this man was in Bertie's. Mr. Stone was a friend of Bertie. Did a lot of good work for the uh, community in central Dublin. He owned Hatchet's Wagon to Fine Gael when. 2011, mm. and he just got too close to politics and politics and big business, and that's not that's never good. There are rules there around that, but uh, postering is a very difficult job. I wish there was no posters because I have volunteers mm. putting them up, and the average has no one falling down and stormy nights and thin being damaged and being removed, and whatever. So, but right. to get a professional job done during an election and the value. You know, we are not possible. It's just, it's a messy way to be doing it if you didn't do the return. Uh, and, and it should have been returned. But look, that's, right. it, and, it, and, it doesn't And, and from your experience of paying to, to for people to help with posters and the like, like, was it an underestimation, do you think, of what Pascal Donahue was talking about the cost of putting up posters and getting men wildly, to work? Wildly, wildly, because if you have a man in Dublin, a van with four men, a health and safety, full gear, he costs and up to 20 euro an hour. And then if it's night time, it's easier to us. It could be double. So, of course it was. But look, as you said, the, the most important issue with housing, look at the health. We have a four-hour debate at night on the Camel situation. Yes. My God, every constituency. It's just so sad to see that the problem Trip. Trip. and the dysfunction. And yeah. when then we have distractions like this, you often wonder, are they, are, they, are they put out their liberty? All right, Matty, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. Good morning to you. And that's Tipperary Independent uh, TD, uh, Matty McGrath, and uh, that uh, get-together at the Liam Lynch Memorial on Sunday in the Knockmill Downs there at uh, 2.30. 1800 938 007. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie you're well aware at this point to record 14 Irish nominations uh, for the Oscars this year with Banshees of Inishirin and on Colleen Kuhn uh, leading the charge there. Well, a gentleman who has contributed to this programme many times is writer and musician Sean O'Connor. And uh, Sean worked on uh, the production team for On Colleen Kuhn and he, he joins me now. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed <clears throat> and uh, great to talk to you today. Tell me about your involvement with this, Connor. Uh, I've been involved in On and Off with movies since 1998. Uh, I started as a dancer on a movie, believe it or not. Did you? <clears throat> I did. I did two movies as a dancer. So I've had I've been in and out of film for the last twenty odd years, and then this the pandemic hit, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was this Irish film being made in twenty twenty. It was going to be it was shot in uh, September October, a very difficult period, and they needed uh, someone to work in production as a COVID officer. Mm. And I have a background as a nurse, and I knew how the film business works. So I basically got the job, did some training in that with. The, with, the, with the film industry and so on. Anyway, I ended up working in for a couple of weeks before we start shooting and then the entire shoot, which was five weeks long. So I was there every day, saw every scene shot and mm. <laughs> was doing anything and everything. Because, you, you know, on a film like that, it was, it, was a, it was a small budget as films go. It was tight. Mm. It was a tight crew. Now, that's still a lot of people, but um, it was the minimum amount of people we really needed to make a film. So it was very, very difficult because we had this terrible situation where if anyone went off sick for any reason on any movie, it's a big problem. Of course, yes. And a very uh, expensive uh, problem as well. Yeah, to put it in perspective, if you've got a uh, someone in the cast, an actor, and they can't come to work, hmm. well, then we've no one to shoot. So you still have to pay the wages of everybody. And you could lose the location you're shooting in that day. It's not, you know, it's a very complicated problem. Right. It put a and, lot of responsibility on you, though, to make sure that things was you know, looked well, after. We, we all had a level of, we all had an unusual level of concern and responsibility. Mm. Uh, to be honest with you, um, and everybody was absolutely super at dealing with it. Really, really, this was a, an unusual film in the sense that the camaraderie. And the sense of closeness that everybody had from day one was really astonishing. And can you just give you a sense of the implications? For example, we were able to do what they call a read-through of the script, where you, you bring all the cast together and the crew, and we, we listen to the script being read out, just read out mm. for a day. And that's, that's typical in a lot of movies to do that. But here's the twist. Um, we were doing that in the biggest room we could find in County Mead where we were shooting, we're all two metres apart and everybody was wearing masks, uh, like PP2 masks. And that was sort of slightly surreal, listening to the script in red like that. But here's the twist. The cast couldn't rehearse. That was, the, that was, that, that was it. Why? Because they couldn't interact. Was that it? Well, the, minute, the least interaction, the better. Yes, it was, yeah. Don't hate the COVID in 2020. <laughs> so they were going in there and... They did an astonishing job. They just rose to the challenge and they went straight on screen and did their work every day. Um, 
it was amazing. I, I think that we were aware of those sort of difficulties and mm. unusual circumstances <clears throat> that um, made it a very unusual Yes, and you know, while obviously your responsibility was as COVID officer there, but I'm just wondering, did you get a sense that you were making something special even at that point? Um, There was a consensus after a very quickly uh, that we were, there was a very different atmosphere on the set for a start. It's very hard. Andrew Bennett, one of the the main cast members, Mm. was interviewed from... Uh, on the radio on Tuesday evening, I heard him on my way back from the nomination announcement. Mm. We all went to Dublin uh, to the Stella Cinema, and and we were watching the nominations live coming yes. in, and we went berserk. I can't even tell <laughs> I can't you. Imagine. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> we went more than berserk. <laughs> we were like children. <laughs> we went absolutely ballistic. Yeah. And I never not? saw people jump out of a seat as quick. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, sorry, I lost my train. Andrew Bennett, yeah, he was saying that. Uh, I was very interested to hear him speak. He said that um, when he went on the set, he said he found it scary. It, it was a really scary feeling at the start uh, that we were doing this in the circumstances we were, and he also he actually said it felt holy, which is a rather unusual word. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> but it did feel surreal, and the other thing is that. On film sets, they have little monitors, like little screens, that mm. you can see what the camera sees. Mm. They'd be outside the building we might be shooting in. So we can always see those. So people can see those in passing, and we can see what the shots are looking like and how it's looking. And very quickly, we began to realise that this kind of looks gorgeous. Mm. Now, last night, I went into Nina, the Omniplex, there to, to, to watch the film again, because I... It's it opened again. It's opened again in all the cinemas around our most cinemas around Ireland. And mm. uh, I hadn't seen it for over a year since we did the screening. And uh, my wife, who's Japanese, was with me, and she had never seen it. Mm. And her comment afterwards, she said, "Is it makes Ireland look beautiful?" <laughs> I said, "Well, it is beautiful, but mm. the interesting thing is, it makes Ireland look beautiful, but without the big scenery shots. There's yes. no." Yeah. Images of mountains or lakes or any of that stuff. It's it's it makes it it makes an oak tree look gorgeous. It makes a, an ordinary field in County Mead look gorgeous. That's very okay. interesting. Yeah, and uh, but it's the real Ireland, I suppose, in a lot of ways, the real rural Ireland. And this is the thing yes. uh, about the film. Uh, when it, when we say it's an Irish film, mm. just to give you a sense of how Irish this film is. It's based on a story by the Irish writer uh, Claire Keegan Mm. called Foster. That was adopted for screen by the writer-director Colin Barade, who Mm. is Irish. Uh, The producer is his his partner, uh, Fiona Necrowley. The crew is is Irish or based in Ireland. You know, they live here. Uh, Everybody involved in it was Irish or lived in Mm. in Ireland. But here's the significant thing. All the finance for the film was Irish. Was it indeed? Which is very unusual nowadays, isn't it? And it was a, a brainchild. The idea, not for this film, but for a film like this, which became this film, you mm. follow what I mean, mm. was from T.G. Carter, who had this notion that, you know, it's about time we made a film that's really 100% Irish in Irish. Uh, and, and that we yeah. can take it worldwide. 
And isn't that fantastic? I, I heard an interview with the producers, the couple, and I, I found it fascinating. The amount of meetings and parties and flights to L.A. and stuff to even get the nomination like was just incredible. I mean, this is a short, isn't it? This is a 15-minute movie, isn't it? Oh, no, no. This is the... Oh, this is full-length movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, full-length. It's full-length. 194. It's a one hour and a half, uh, you know, it's a full-length movie. Right, so all the more, all the more yeah. reason then that we should be celebrating this. But the amount that they had to, to do to mm. to get a nomination was incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you see, the, the thing is that when you're making a film like that, we weren't thinking of the Oscars. Mm. Nobody was saying this. Oh, yeah, 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 Not at all. And um, it, it, the film was made and then the post-production period took place. It was all a big time lag and then out of nowhere it won the um, best youth film in the Berlin Festival uh, quite quickly after that. That's a very competitive, uh, about 400 films num- uh, in the mix for that. It won that and then it started winning other awards and accolades and then Mark Kermode in Britain who's kind of a very prestigious film critic, he then described it as the best film of the year his favourite film the year and it goes on and on and on it just kept mm. building up ahead of steam and suddenly then it's in the mix for the Oscars now the Oscar that it's up for is Best International Film mm. which is one of the most difficult Oscars to get mm. because the film industry is essentially in the English language in the Oscars are for yeah. English language films when it gets to that category Best International Film it's for every film that isn't in English in the world Maybe French film, maybe Italian film, maybe Afghan film, everything, everywhere. And that's a massive amount of movies in the mix. So the first step is they they long list it to 90 movies. Mm. And and Colin Kuhn got into the 90. And then the question was, will we make the top 15? And it did. So last Tuesday when we went up to hear the announcement, the announcement was, will we go from the top 15 to the top five? And that's an extremely tall order. So I, I needn't tell you, we leapt out of our seats. Well Do you know what I was delighted to see was Carrie Crowley's success in this because I've been following her career for a long time now from mm. local radio right through RTE to, to the film world. She's an incredible, incredible performer, isn't she? Unbelievable. Mm. And, and, and they all were. And Andrew Bennett and Michael Patrick and the young girl, mm. yeah, Catherine Clinch, was mind-blowing yeah. and... But uh, Carrie, yeah, it's an astonishing success for her. Yeah. It really is. It's yeah, really del- great to see. Her, and I think a lot of people know her. She's well known. She's lo- oh, very experienced. Yeah. And absolutely. Well, Sean, what we'll do is when the film wins, let's let's go on oh, out there. Hold on now. Maybe, maybe maybe we could talk again, Sean. Is that okay? Sure, absolutely. Nice to talk to you. In the meantime, care. lovely to talk to you, Sean. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, Sean O'Connor there speaking to us about his work on the Oscar nominated on Colleen Kuhn. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, when questioned by young students from uh, St. Kevin's National School in Littleton, the president, Michael D. Higgins, said that homework 
should not happen in Ireland. And he believed that school activities should end at the school gate and students should be encouraged to engage in more creative pursuits. Now, it certainly has gotten an awful lot of attention indeed. And Mum Tara joins me now. Tara, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today, Tara. You're in an ideal position to talk about this because you have two uh, young kids, but did they both have a different a different view to homework. Is that what happened? Um, well, no, the, the schools had a different view. Yes. Um, not my kids. Okay. <laughs> but um, my daughter uh, doesn't do homework, uh, but my son does. Ah, okay. So tell me about that. Um, well, it, ha- it started in primary school for my daughter. She just, it, it overwhelmed her every time. Mm-hmm. She hated maths. Um, I'm not good at math, so I wasn't any good at helping her with it. Mm. Um, she couldn't understand Irish, and neither could I, so I was no good helping her with it, mm. um, and stuff like that. But then her anxiety used to spike and go through the roof the minute she'd see the school bag and the books coming out. And we try to start with, you know, the least favourite subject first, mm. Mm. and stuff like that. It just it wasn't working. So I had, when she started first year, um, I sat down with the lady in her autistic unit and I explained, you know, how anxious she was when it came to homework. So um, they decided it would be best for her not to do homework at home, mm-hmm. um, but that if she had any free periods during first year or during the day, that if there was anything she needed to catch up on, that she could do it then. And And how did that work out for her, Tara? Brilliant. Mm. She just got her junior set results and she got a merit in every subject she did. So that in itself shows that she didn't need the extra pressure of homework and study lobbed on top of her. And did it reduce her anxiety overall then, Tara? Yes, Right. Yes, because okay. when she came home then from school, she was able to get stuck into her art. She was able to go swimming. She's able to do other uh, activities. Mm. Which is the point other. that Michael D. Higgins made, that, you know, they should be uh, given that time to uh, engage in more creative pursuits. Yep, I, mm. I totally agree, because it would be brilliant for mm. my son too. But his school is different, you know, you have to do the homework. And, and tell me about his experience with, with homework. I oh, mean, does he, he hate it? Well, he, he's he's our little calculator in the house. He's brilliant. Um, he's got a very technical mind. You know, mm. he's very good. But then again, when he comes home from school, like, he's already exhausted. Like, yes. he's in there since, like, half eight in the morning, and he gets home then at half three, kind of four o'clock. And he just wants to rest. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, have you got your homework to do? And he's like, oh, God. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, and he did at the start. He was very jealous that his sister had no homework, mm. and he has to do he. So yes. it's um, in fairness to Michael D. Higgins, I think it's important to point out. I think he was only making reference to primary school. I don't think he was talking about secondary school, but I think uh, that no, I, I would actually agree with him on that though as well because mm. I'd understand the children having homework in secondary school or even say projects that they needed to bring course, home in yes. third year or fifth year for exam year. But yeah. like my daughter did, that's what she did. If she had something in school that she needed to have finished to submit for her junior cert, she brought it home with her. 
Right. Okay. And she had no problem doing it at home. Stay, w- it stay with me for school. a moment, uh, Tara, because I'm glad to be joined by Dorothy Ryan Purcell. Dorothy, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And How are you? I'm very well, Dorothy, and lovely to talk to you. I, I'm lovely. It's an absolute honour to talk uh, uh, to you uh, on you're... the radio, seeing, <laughs> see, seeing as I listen to you all the time. <laughs> well, you're lovely very you're very kind you. indeed, Dorothy, and, and <laughs> greetings to your lovely family as well. Will you, tell, you. tell me about your um, your take on this? Because... Um, you wouldn't have spotted a difficulty in your son without homework. Is that is that fair to say, Dorothy? That is fair to say. Um, because I was helping him with his homework in junior... I suppose a senior infant it came to light mm. um, that I was helping him and he hadn't... He just did not know what was going on. He, he was... And I mean, we didn't know then that he had autism. We mm. knew there was something different about him, but... Mm. Uh, he wasn't officially diagnosed until this class, but still. But I feel that he would have got completely lost in the system had it not been for homework. And was it when you were helping? Do, do you mind if we, we say who we're talking about? Because no, it, no, please right, do. It, of course, it's Nicholas Ryan Purcell, yes, and who, yes. who is an incredible filmmaker and such, so, you know, such an incredible young man anyway. Um, but are, are you saying to me that through your helping him with homework you discovered some of the issues is that is that yes it? yes and it was particularly um for, for for the maths i mean just you know a simple thing like the teacher would ask would give would there'd be three coins in the in the workbook that they had and add the value of the coins and he would always put down three hmm. he you know he didn't understand the value of the, the value coins of each, or yes. hmm. or he didn't understand greater than and less than and all these things so I you know so I was then able to draw him up charts and things like that to make him understand uh, these type of of issues because Nicholas is a very visual learner now I know this is slightly going off the point but he's a very visual Mm. learner so just Mm. looking at black and white text in a book and expecting him to learn it was just a no-no for him and are you saying he could have gotten lost in the class situation unless you witnessed this yourself on an ongoing basis a hundred percent completely oh yes and also even even with his reading and writing and spelling now he was unofficially diagnosed by his speech therapist as being hyperlexic which was very lucky for him actually what what exactly does that mean Dorothy? that means that he was reading writing and spelling way beyond his ears when he was about eight or nine he was reading um to the level of a 19 year old but the trouble was he didn't understand any of what he was reading writing and spelling you see so through the homework i was able to uh, pick that up as well. Yeah. Now, 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 that's just that's just him. But on the other hand, then Joanna, who you've been very good to on the show as well as that's your, your lovely daughter, who's in Australia, yes. I think, at the moment. That's right. Yes. That's yes. right. She is. Yeah. But uh, she she was absolutely um, she flew through school. So so you see, this uh, my point didn't uh, didn't apply to her because mm. she didn't have any learning difficulties and she would have sailed through school even without homework I think. Tara what do you make mm. a, a, of that where Nicholas was concerned yeah. I mean Dorothy discovered I suppose that his needs through homework. I, I agree with her because I have that with one of my children one yes. of my children was non-verbal till they were eight Yes. so I had the opposite so no matter what we did with her <clears throat> 
um, it was all just, she was hearing it all and it was visual. She wouldn't talk. I could, she just couldn't talk at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with her in that sense because it was another teacher. Um, I was, my daughter now was diagnosed with autism at two and my son was what he diagnosed with autism at 15. Right. So they were treated completely different by the same system. So, yeah, there's that's the thing. See, there's benefits to to homework in primary school and secondary school as there is to the downside to it as well. It's, it's a fine line to walk. It is indeed. And Dorothy, just from listening to you both there, I'm just getting a grasp of the complexity because each kid is different and they yeah. probably need to be looked at differently. Yes, right. Yeah. Y- yes, yes, definitely looked at differently. Uh, you see, Nicholas was in Nic- Nicholas as uh, Dart. He he was born in nineteen ninety, so I suppose he started school in ninety five, ninety six. Mm. So there were there was no understanding of autism or anything back then. And even now, the school the the school um, they have been super to him mm. ever since. Mm. But they, you see. There was there were no systems in place for people with autism, and the school have actually told him that he was the first uh, ever yes. to be diagnosed with autism at at that particular school. And actually, and actually, even a, a couple of years ago, they opened a new autism unit in the school and asked Nicholas to cut the ribbon, which was, was rather cool. nice. Was it wasn't it indeed? Yes. So before I let you both go, Dorothy, a ban on on homework in in primary school would not be for you then, would it? Um. Well, actually, I, I suppose to to say a complete blanket thing. Yes. I would say yes and no yeah. because yeah. with people with children like Nicholas, they need it. With children like Joanna, she would have got away fine. Mm. But yeah. I, but I think a complete ban of it. Say if if all children were the same and they all all round children fit yes. into a round hole, and you know what I mean. But of um, course, they're not the same, Dorothy. That's that's it. They're not the same. Yes. But but in a world, if they were the same, I still think the odd little bit of homework okay. every now and again right. for the parents, because at the end of the day. It's up to the parents to keep an eye of, on the children. I mean, course. I I don't expect anybody else to do it for me. All right, Tara, and just briefly, um, would you say that it's it's an individual thing more than anything? Yes, yes. I, I think it should be tailored to the child um, because nice I, I'd it, have yeah. the, the same um, experience. Like, it did wonders for one of my children not to do their homework. And then it's also done wonders for my son in doing his homework because he's brilliant with maths and anything technical. All right. Well, there there I must leave it. But thank you so much to you both because you've you've helped me get an understanding of this anyway, for sure. Fran, can I just say one little thing? I do think that weekend homework should be banned. Yes. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. Dorothy and Tara, thank you so much for your time this morning. News is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. And it is time for our Friday panel. And I'm delighted to introduce you to Shawnee Clifford, who spoke to me on the radio very recently indeed. Uh, Shawnee is a writer, a poet, and the owner of the pub in Ballypatrick. And he has great plans there for uh, artistic work to happen there in, in the lounge. Uh, Mark Small is with us. You know Mark very well, naval architect, and of course involved in mediation for so many years as well. And Paula Carney Hoffler, delighted to welcome her back as well. Paul, of course, um, a data protection officer, consultant, and uh, her own business, of course, the Irish Data Protection Association and Academy, and was involved in Chamber for so many years as well. Good morning to you all, and thank you for, for coming into us today. I suppose we have to start with the whole uh, Pascal Donoghue uh, issue, and um, as uh, listeners know, confirmed in the Dáil, there was a breach of election rules after the Fine Gael in Dublin Central, Central unknowingly received a corporate donation above the legal limit in 2020, and then we had the 2016 stuff earlier and today of course right across the newspapers the standards in public office commission is now investigating a complaint that Sinn Féin failed to account for spending on its Abu election database in its election spending uh, returns so there's much talk about hypocrisy and all sorts of stuff as well. Shawnee do you want to do you want to start us off on this? What are you making of all this debacle? Because a lot of our listeners are saying well why aren't they in the doll talking about health and housing and all the things that are vitally important? Yeah, I think it's not so much that he took uh, took money. It's like he's taking money from a businessman called Michael Stone. And I think that should be the story. Um, it's not about how much he took. What is he doing taking money and hanging out with someone that he appointed to a government? Uh, I think it was in a government organisation. Mm. And I think that's what he needs to answer. Mm. Whether it's 800 or 1600. And the whole Sinn Féin thing, I find um, that... Uh, well, whether it's RTE or, or any other media outlet, that right after a breaking news story um, comes up for Fine Gael lately, there's always a follow-on story for Sinn Féin. Now, I know people say Sinn Féin are a little bit paranoid when it comes to RTE, but the story, there is only one story. Mm. Why is he taking money from Michael Stone? Mm. Why is he in bed with him? Why is he connected to him at all? Well, well we don't know that he's, he's in bed with him, but do you think no, that, I mean, that is... No, I mean politically. But, yeah, of course, but that is the bigger story as far as you're It's all bluster. It's, it's like, um, I'm sure their, their press team are going out trying to kind of conf- muddy the waters. Yes. But the bottom line is, you had a guy, you had a businessman, and he's helping and paying to put up posters. Right, but here we had a very effective businessman, a very mm. successful businessman that was putting his own time uh, without pay into two organisations, including the Land Development Agency and an inner city organisation that was doing tremendous work. The Land work. Development Agency, which he is in the industry, mm. um, or surrounding the industry, this is more of it again. It's more of a, he just shouldn't, no one should be paying to put up his posters, and especially someone that's a businessman that... Um, that will, ben- that will benefit from that. It's not like giving his time. Um, he is basically paying. He paid for the van. Mm. He paid for the workers directly. Yes. To put but, up posters. Pascal Donahue didn't know about that. That's what he says. Right. That's what he says. Paula, what's, what's your take on this, Paula? <clears throat> I suppose just following on there, I for me, um, ignorance is not a defence. I didn't know he was doing it. So there's a whole level of accountability. When you're in a public position... You know, you are accountable, especially also if you're a lawmaker. You know, if the laws are made, you abide by those laws and they didn't keep to the SIPA rules. You know, my other thing was really, you know, if this didn't come out in the public domain and they found out this themselves privately, would they have 
amended the SIPA report or would they have just mm. brushed it under the well, table? Well, they were told about this seemingly in 2017. They yeah. were told about it again in 2022. So, and they didn't act upon it at that Exactly. Point. So there you go. That's the answer. So they're not even complying to their own own laws. Mm. So that to me is a huge thing. It's accountability. You know, you, you need to be accountable to the laws that you, you, you're involved in. The other side from Sinn Féin, you know, don't throw stones. Mm. Like, you know, come with clean hands if you're yes. going to complain about somebody. Get your own house in order. You know, be be at that level. Don't come out and make assertions about organisations when, when you're doing exactly or similar yeah. yourself. So for me, it's, you know, it's accountability. It's keeping to the rule of law. Uh, you know, I like rules. It's, you know, what I, I focus on. So that would be a huge thing. Also, then what happens is it starts to open this can of worms. Mm. And then we see the involvement of Mr. Stone. And, and, and you think there's you know, more the to come on agencies. this, Paula? I think there is, which is terrible, really, because they should be focusing on the country mm, and, mm. you know, the position, that, you know, the, the normal person is in every day. That's what their, their debates and discussions should be about. And working together as best they can to resolve our issues. So, but I do think this hasn't, this has not ended um, I, I think I saw a news article where they alluded to other government agencies using Mr Stone's business. Mm. So again, you know, do we need to look at the, the rules around, you know, appointment of these organisations through government? We know there's rules in relation to tenders and stuff mm. like that. So I think there's a lot more to come. And SIPO at this point is a fit for purpose. I mean, it seems to, I mean, it can't act upon anything unless it has a complaint. It cannot uh, it, like generate an investigation itself. Do you find that strange? I find that really odd. So for me, you know, I mean, you know, audits should be, you know, decisive um, and a surprise. Mm. You know, they should be looking at these things and going through documentation. And, you know, going back to the organisations again, you know, these are big organisations, big political organisations. They're powerhouses mm. in their own right. If you can't run your accounts properly, mm. what does it say about them? Right. And before I go to Mark, can I just put it to you as devil's advocate? If a guy is going for a general election, particularly somebody with as big a profile as Pascal Donoghue, and he's worried about, you know, national radio and TV interviews and all sorts of stuff like that, can he be expected to know about the guy who's putting his poster up? He can be expected to know about how much money is being provided to them. He can expect to know about how many contributions have been provided, <laughs> political contributions to his campaign. Absolutely. Right. If I was a, a CEO of a large organisation, I'm going to know how much money is going through my company. I'm going to know where there's problems. My finance guy is going to point them out to me. I'm going to know these issues. He's exactly the same. Does it make a difference? Mark, I'm really interested in what you, what you make of this. <laughs> I don't know, it's a bit like The Simpsons, isn't it? I mean, I, <laughs> I mean it's like The Simpsons run, running it. I, I look, I don't know where, where do you start with this. I mean, I think there's a very real problem where, you know, we have huge issues going on in the government at the moment in relation to the cost of living, housing, health. war in Ukraine, the health service. And I mean, this huge storm in a teacup um, uh, over... You know, a thousand euros, which is which was which was a flagrant attempt by the opposition to try and remove a minister. I mean, there was no there was no other there was no other real um, because I mean, as soon as it happened, they were looking for his resignation. So I mean, it was like you know, let's let's fire fire him before we even question him. Mm. But is um, that not real politics? No, it is. No, I'm saying this is this is the yeah. politics of yeah. what politics yeah. is. So I mean, any in any chink, they look for it. I mean, um, Shawnee mentions there about you know. It, you know Pascal, you know interaction with with uh, Mr. Stone, but then what about Sinn Fein's interaction with Jonathan Dowdall, mm -hmm. who is serving a four-year 
prison service for facilitating Our murder. Leo Varadkar so brought that up. Yeah, I mean, so you can't, times. let's not throw stones. I mean, you yeah. know, and, and I mean, if you're talking about campaign financing, like, I mean, in Ireland, we have a very strong campaign financing act. We have a very, we have a very good um, you know, uh, monitoring process to do it. I, I agree. I think SIPO is not fit for purpose in the fact that it can't actually instigate its own investigation, mm. which I think is a is a major failing and should be allowed to do it. But then we don't want it to become like America, where it becomes a political weapon. Mm. You know, so we have mm. to be quite careful about how you know what we wish for, um, and campaign. I mean, certainly campaign financing is a very it's a very difficult area because, you know, to get elected is a very expensive exercise. If we say is that no one can make contributions to, say, an, ele- an elected representative to mm. be able to stand mm. for election, what happens is then only the extremely wealthy could ever become elected because they're the only people who could afford to be elected to use their own financing. So campaign financing is... A I vi- often wonder about that argument because, of course, well, I mean, elections ha- are also financed by the taxpayer, of course. Oh, well. Yes, in Ireland, yeah. yes. And, and that's the difference. In Ireland, the parties do it. But I think there's also an issue then in relation to, say, smaller parties or, or new parties being able to actually join. I mean, the campaign financing, the way it's structured at the moment, is basically favours the larger in parties who are currently mm. in government because mm. they get the majority mm. out of If you have a new party or you want to, say, have a new view on it, very difficult to get going. So how do you get going if you didn't have the money? So you go out and fundraise. Mm. How do you fundraise? Then you get contributions from individual people. Right. And, and those individuals have expectations. And again, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're... I'm, if I'm an individual, it doesn't matter what my particular area, whether mm. I'm rich or poor, if I provide either free labor mm. to someone or i provide them with cash i expect something in return mm. they they are going to do something for me i mean i think it's been said before like democracy is probably one of the most corrupt things you can ever mm. have because what you do is you exchange your vote for something that you're going to get so yes. it, it's, it's essentially but it's the best form, system we have yeah it's, it's a form of bribery <laughs> as such like, yes, so they, yeah. you know the, and, and if you take it down to the absolute base level yeah. democracy and going for elections of bribery you give me your vote and I'll give you something in return. Now, it, you know, and that is the, the basis of it. I think it's right that we should definitely have auditing of who is contributing because we want to know what is in the background of it. Um, I have a problem with people kind of going that, you know, the business people can't serve on particular boards because they may have conflicts of interest. If there's a conflict of interest, for sure, absolutely, yes. But I think the business community, like any other individual's, can give a good example of, of what is happening on, on, on a voluntary basis. Now, he served on two boards mm. on a completely voluntary basis. He didn't and have And seemingly to. very successful. Well, I mean, he, apparently what, what the members of the board who were with him have, mm. have praised him very highly mm. in that respect. And I think it look, if you look across the community and community activists, people in business, um, you know, again, both myself and Paula were involved in the chamber. Mm. I mean, that was that was given for free, you know, mm. that, because we wanted to try and better certain areas. And and I mean, okay, that's that's yes. what the way it is. Of course. But I mean, in fairness, you were involved because, I mean, you were business people yourself. We were business and, you people know. and we wanted to promote the business. And, and yeah. because we promoted the business, then yes, our businesses increased. I mean, yes. it's, it's the nature of, of what it is. So yeah. if you're saying it, then were we corrupt because we tried to help Are you the shaking community? your head on this? It doesn't always increase. <laughs> And and you're right, Mark. Yeah. We we put a huge amount of time, you yes. know, be under no illusion, this yeah. is no gravy train. No. You you 
put your heart and soul yeah, into course, it and yeah. sweat and everything. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Shawnee, what about that? That you know, business people they have a place on boards. Uh, they have a place in organisations outside of, course, of their business. Of course, uh, but even I though mean, it might be cynical to some degree, but you know, this is more blustered. All like you know, the bottom line is you have a former minister for finance that doesn't know how to do his own finances. Mm. No, that's that's totally that's totally dis- disingenuous. It's I think. not disingenuous. No, I mean, I mean, he's, he's a for, he's, he's, All of he's, a sudden, all of a sudden, he's coming out claiming innocence. All he had to say to anyone in his campaign at the time is, "Guys, put up the posters, but don't pay anybody. And if you do, let me know." Very mm. simple instructions. But if I, but I mean, let's say if I if if I happen to go out and I and I put up a poster for someone. You know, I'm he a business got, but person. He got, he got a team but, but of people. You, no, no, but, I, but if well, I, I organised myself, did he not have a, 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 a campaign manager uh, yes. organising yeah. that? Is I mean, I think. It's, I mean, this thing about you know he's he doing organise his finances is a way. Is is this is a way for people to try and uh, disrespect? And I say Pascal in relation to his ability and mapping this. He, he obviously because he can't look after a thousand euros, he couldn't look after the billions in the government. Mm. Is completely disingenuous and completely disrespectful. But, but because it, he's one but of it's very, the most. But it's, sorry, right, no, Shawnee, yeah, yeah sorry, just, just let Shawnee answer no, that. No, no, because it's very valid. Because he was the minister for finance. When you're comparing Sinn Fein to Pascal O'Donoghue, they're not in power. Mm. They don't have the same power to appoint people. Right. Yep. He had probably the most powerful man in the country. And it's not so much what he did, it's his reaction to it. The whole leadership team think that they're above in mm. Fine Gael. They're like the Teflon team. So what did you make of the first apology where he said, look, I'm apologising, but I'm not going to take any questions on this? What did you make this of This is exactly what I'd expect from him. This is what they're doing. Well, Mary, Adker, Mary Lee doesn't take any Ad- questions back Lee either. Lee Adker was the same. They're all the same. They're like... We're just a tiny, teeny bit above everybody else in this country. Sorry about that, guys. And, I mean, and you're, and you're trying to lay that the Mary Lou isn't. I mean, she won't answer any questions in relation to the our topic. To well, you're going off topic. Or, no, or no, topic. hang on. So you, you've brought it onto this about the and, people and answering questions. What you're saying is a good example of what happens lately. Well, what's that? Pascal O'Donoghue did not uh, be honest with the country, okay? It's very simple. And then, for some reason, Sinn Féin comes into it. Mm. The topic is actually... Pascal no, no, Sinn Féin are asking the questions about, about, well, everyone's about, asking gov- the questions. about government and then you're... We're they, asking the questions they have as well. A, well, they in have fairness, they, they did describe government. what he said as being all sort of a cock and bull story. If well, you what would you expect him... I mean, what would you expect him to do? Give, give, come out and say he's a great guy? I mean, this is their job. This so is that, what they so, do. So Mary, could, so I could nearly have written their... Pre- I, could have, I could have nearly done their press release. This is like... So you're, you're saying is, that Mary Lou... So Mary Lou, uh, not knowing whether she did get money or didn't get money uh, and then... The, the from from John Dowdall, whether she got or got, in, and in one respect, well, she, well the, the the thing there just just yeah, for clarity now yeah. was that the, the the difference was whether the party got it or whether Mary yeah. Lou so got it. On, so Mary Lou said she never got it, even though it appears in her campaign financing. Yes, but but, but they they, she's that denying now. that. But yeah. now they've said yeah, but, she but, I mean, did get it. First do I did yes. or not? I mean, okay. the, I mean, it's all this. It's it's throwing rubbish at people, and I, I mean, I I think this. I mean, it's it doesn't. It's not good for government for this. Hmm. We should be looking at the bigger issues and dealing with them. I mean, yes. the one thing, and to go back to it, like Pascal Donahue, who is one of the most respected finance ministers in Europe currently, he's doing. I mean, whether we like it well, or so not, he says. So Fine Gael says. Well, no, so so no, so no. so Europe has said has, having actually voted him as the chairman of the of the group. Yeah, yeah. So, another I mean, job, another job for the boys. Yeah. This well, is well, they did, but anyway, they well. did even change rules so that he could continue yes. on. And I mean, okay, of course they did. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, just in relation, rela- in relation to that particular thing, you know, you know. For him, let's say for argument, there was he did actually have to have to resign. Mm. We lose Ireland as a country is 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 performing exceptionally well in influence in Europe. 
I mean, we have Mairead McGuinness and we have Pascal and now we have Mike McGrath involved in the, the actual financing of Europe. Mm. So it's very important that we maintain... Only enough, I presence. think without the Brits sitting beside us in Europe, we, our, all, our influence has been diluted. Yeah, no, and that's, the, all, that's what I'm just going to yeah, get onto that. All absolutely. the more reason yeah. for actually being able to have these people in a position where they can influence yes. is such vital for the country. And I mean, you know, we lost... I mean, whether rightly or wrongly, we lost a, you know, a commissioner because of, of, of travelling across the country. And I mean, which mm. I, in, in, I think was wrong because of the context of it. Okay, it's sometimes the crime... Covering up the crime is worse than the crime right, itself. But you, exactly. you seem to have a tolerance for misdemeanors, do you? I think. Look, I think there's real. We actually call it real politics. Yes. I yeah. mean, there's a greater good versus the beat. Like, let's all be prettier. Let's yeah, all be whiter see, than where, where do you draw the line on that? Mm, exactly. I mean, no. Tara, look, and that is, it, that is the question. Yeah. Yeah. Paula, isn't it that. interesting what's happening with the two boys? Because yeah, yeah, I'm It's very divisive. This it is. Yeah. I go back to the whole basis for Pascal's side is ignorance is not a defence for Sinn Fein. They should be have a better control of their finances and know what they're doing. Yeah, so money coming in, money going sloppy out. This it's morning. sloppy. Yeah. Bad campaign finance management. They should know this stuff. That's it. That is what the debate is. That's what the discussion is. It is not what oh he said this or mm. they did that. Absolutely. It's bad campaign finance management yes. from the very start. And again, from your lack of transparency. from your experience, if sloppy stuff like this happened in the business world, Paula. You'd be fired. You'd be fired. No, but it does. Exactly. Hang on, no, that's, no, that's, not, that's incorrect because it, it, it does happen. It does happen. It does happen. No, it does. It does happen. Right, but I mean, there's really consequences. Price. There'll be consequences. But, but you in, see, this is the thing is there is consequences. In certain circumstances, uh, yes, and it depends. It, no, it, it does. It depends on, it depends on the context. So my thing no. is, if there's a rule in place, you follow the rule. You're transparent about what you're doing. You tell people what you're doing. This is what's expected, especially in relation to finances. It's called out. Sipo calls it out. It's called there's rules there. You know, our tolerance, oh, sure, he's... You know, yeah, Pascal has done great things. He, saw, he navigated us to, through COVID. Mm. He made mm. sure there was enough money there. Well, he's been a lucky general with, with the, 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 the taxation. Oh, well, that's absolutely. But let's be honest. At the end of the day, if you're going to make the rules, don't break them. Right. And that's that's where I stand. But it's the Irish. The, I mean, the Irish from the very very start have always been. We have the rules there, and the first thing we do yeah, is let's figure out some way around it so it doesn't really doesn't apply make to it us. Right. That's why we've all these <laughs> loopholes. Right. Right. Yeah, but it doesn't make it right. And all at right. the end I of must, the day, if you're put in that position, you have to follow the rules. Right. Oh, I, I, I must go. <laughs> I must go to a break. We'll hose everybody down, and we'll be back to you in a few moments. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back to our Friday panel. And uh, with us today, lovely panel. And uh, they're, they're, they're all right, I think, at this point. And uh, we're delighted to have Shawnee Clifford with us, Mark Small and Paula Carney-Hoffler. And uh, Shawnee has just got his first accusation. He's obviously a spokesperson for Sinn Féin. Oh, no, no. It says here. That's so. terrible, that's terrible. And uh, to Mark, actually, you're getting away very well, Paula. But, but Mark, as usual, uh, it says, tell Mark, what did Big Phil do to Clanmel Corporation? No, he he destroyed it and he destroyed well, he abolished all of yeah all and he destroyed Tipperary I think in the context of north-south and I think the first thing we should do is try is, is, is a half a campaign to go back to a north and south tip and it looks like with the boundary commission we should be going for three, for six 
and and, all, and because of six and, and the new regulations, we'll have to have two uh, constituencies. Right. So we'll so, have North and South. So do you want to do you want to rethink your comment on Big Phil? Then? No, no, I'm not saying no, about. Okay. I'm, the reason why he was was rejected as a commissioner is different from what he destroyed Tipperary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, a complete alcohol ban proposed by Councillor Phil Bugler is being proposed at Ballina Riverside Park to try and prevent further incidents of uh, antisocial behaviour and damage there. So um, I'm wondering what we think about this. Should this be happening right across parks in Tipperary? Should it be happening right across uh, the country? Paul, I was surprised to read today, in fact, that it's not illegal to drink out of doors. I thought it was. It is. Well, it depends on the county council or the local yes, authority. The bylaws. bylaws. Local bylaws so right. I was actually, I, I decided I would go and have a little look around at bylaws today and, you know, couldn't really find the Tipperary ones, but mm. I found some for, say, Fingal County Council in Dublin, which is where I'm originally from. Mm-hmm. And they had some really good bylaws in place in relation to parks and recreation areas where alcohol and substance and other substances are um, completely banned. Um, so my feeling or my how I feel about it is, yes, alcohol should be banned from public parks and recreation areas without a shadow of a doubt. Um, the park and uh, recreation areas for everybody. Mm. Don't want to be falling over cans or bottles or, you know, or, you know, drugs. Um, see syringes and hedgerows and stuff, especially when you have little kids around. So I think it should be, and I think it's something Tipperary County Council really needs to look at, creating a good set of bylaws in relation to that. How they're going to police it now well, that, is a that different was my thing. Point. You can have all <laughs> so, the bylaws you want. How would you police it, Paula? I don't know. Should With we resources have, the way they are. We don't have enough you know? guards. Yeah. So at yeah. the moment, um, the only way you could do it is you know, through the use of CCTV or putting up, saying mm. there's cameras in, in sight and you, you, you monitor for this. Again, that's getting into a whole GDPR thing and data is, protection yeah. thing, so I'm not going to debate that today. Mm. So it, it's, it is something very difficult. Myself and Shani were actually talking about this earlier on. How how are we going to get the police or how are the Gardaí going to go out and make sure these are they're sticking to the bylaws when we've barely mm. enough guards as it is? And that's the point, Shani, isn't it, you know? Yeah, the only example is in Killarney we have the park rangers mm-hmm. and they do tend if things get a bit out of control they'll come up with their jeep and they'll say listen And what powers do they have, Shawnee? Well, I don't think they have many powers to arrest people oh, but no, when you see the big not, jeep yeah. coming up especially as a young fella and <laughs> they're saying listen, we will call the cops Yes, um, and they do were you drinking out of can? Oh, no, we were just, you know, being, being ourselves. <laughs> being you know? yeah. I'm sure I was on a couple of occasions. <laughs> but you'd actually, for anything, for like dogs off a leash, yes, um, especially, or just, just basically a park ranger, what a park ranger does. So maybe that might be an idea. To like get, kind of a role. Yeah, get yeah. someone to go around the parks and if there's guys um, or girls or whatever um, being out of control or drinking, say, guys, move on or I will call the guards. Mm. And it does have an effect. But other than that... I mean, people who are getting broken into in rural Ireland mm. are, are half reluctant now these days to call the guards because they just, they are. They, it's the, the ineffectiveness. Why, why do you think? Well, it's just they, they've, they've become um, desynthesised to it in many ways. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd hear it in the pub and I'd hear it in general. Mm. Um, unless, like, a lot of stuff is taken or unless uh, someone has been assaulted or something, it's like, you know, whatever, this is kind of normal right. these well, days. So. In fairness, the guards are at pains. They tell them we have a, a, a slot with them every two weeks. The now. guards are great. A, a, it's a not the guards. To, but yes, it's, it's to just, ask for help from yeah. the public and all of that. And um, to get back to the drinking in the yeah. in the parks, Mark, what to, is it a surprise to you that there's not already laws against drinking. I mean, it's very strict in America, isn't it? It's You can't have a bottle open. Uh, yeah. You can't have a... I mean, it has to, I mean, you, you has to, it has to be inside in a paper bag. Yes. You know what I mean, so it's very, very strict. Um, I mean, I, I think there should be a ban on on alcohol. I mean, it, isn't it an awful reflection of Ireland 
is that if you go on holiday, say, to France or, or say, in the continent, that you have people have parties on the beach and they bring, they bring their tables down, they sit down and then they tidy up and they go away afterwards and they put the bins are out there, the bins aren't overflowing. Um, that in Ireland, we can't do that for some bizarre reason. We mm. just don't seem to have the social conscience, is it, to look to be thinking about other people, but there's cans left on the beach, there's broken glass and stuff. We seem to just not want to look after our society in this way. I mean, I was also down in Australia not long ago and they have fantastic facilities like in parks where they have the barbecues. Mm. The glass is there. I mean, it's amazing, you know, and people, they clean it up after themselves. They have their party and then, you know, they would move on and they'd cook their food and they'd move off to the tables, which are all there. And then the next people move in and they use the barbecue. I mean, and, you know, I mean, they are, you know, they have the drink and things. We can't seem to have handle you thought this. about why that is. Well, I, I, I think I don't know. I, I don't understand it. I mean, mm. you, you see it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where it comes or, or what is it instilled. I mean, we mm. aren't any different from the Australians in, their, in our upbringing, in our yes. in, in the way we're educated, or or in where we are. But why are we suddenly so up different? around your own home area? There was it last summer. Um, Betty's town and the likes of the beaches up there. I mean, they were in such a state, Paul. Yeah. You they know, were. Yeah, I can't understand it. Like when I bring yeah. my kids out when we go to the beach or go for a picnic, you know, we don't leave anything behind except yeah. we have our memories that's it that's mm. our motto mm. I can't understand it I think it goes back to how your parents were we? I know I'll probably get given out to this but if you instill in your children don't be leaving rubbish around or pick up after yourself mm. and all this kind of stuff it sticks mm. and you bring it forward because I believe the parents were leaving dirty nappies and it's pie. disgusting yeah. and, and yeah. other things yeah. you know what I mean yeah. which we won't talk about yeah. on the radio but uh, yeah it's disgraceful and, and, and people pick up after yourself like what's mm. the problem yeah. like yeah. really like I see it up around my way, beautiful walks up around the Knockmill Down, mm, you know, yeah. up around up around Bay Lock and stuff like that. And people throwing their their water bottles and their lunch boxes and stuff. I'm constantly picking up rubbish after people. I think yeah. I think there's some element of it. I, I, some element of it is I think in Ireland we have this be- belief I think that someone else will look after it. Yeah. It's not my responsibility. There's someone else will do always like no matter what it is you see in a lot across society in Ireland. There's always this someone else will deal yes. with that rather than taking a kind of a social because responsibility. The, the Oh, there's not enough bins for yeah. us. But, but I mean, but I mean, then, know. but then what happens is there's not enough bins. What happens? What seems to happen is that then people start using them for their their domestic waste mm. because you know. I, so it just, I think, the psychic of Ireland is someone else will deal with all our problems, and I don't. As long as mm. I don't have to deal with it, and I is think it fixable? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is back to parenting. I don't know. Is it that or is, I mean, the, the way society is. I don't under, I don't have the answer. I, I, but I just find it very sad when I do travel and I see the beaches and people going out and enjoying themselves and you're kind of going, why can't we have that in Ireland? Yeah. And, and can you make a direct comparison for me, Shawnee? Because I'm very impressed with the way Killarney is looked after, for example, and uh, as you say, the parks. Yeah, and, and also I spend a lot of time in uh, Berlin and... and uh, People would actually uh, plan out how they would bring the rubbish home yeah. when they're bringing the rubbish it's, there. It's part of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole you'd see mothers going down with a big trolley full of. They'd have the starters, the yeah. main course. <laughs> it's like you know they've been planning this for three months. Yeah. Um, I also think in in people's defences, like we're we're not an outside nation. We, you know, it's it's like mm. we go, we go, <laughs> no, but like yes. in Australia, you have the sun. You know, yeah, people, yeah. in Berlin, people start. We, we get go, all excited. You see, we get all excited. We get the cans, and then things get out of control. And you know, all of us are guilty of that. Yes. Um, but the, but and especially there's no consequences. Then afterwards, like I'm going to yeah. leave my twelve cans and my rubbish, and yeah, you know, yeah. someone else will clean it up. Where if there was consequences, like on the spot. 
back fines of 100 yeah. euro yes. you, you didn't it or, or, or the irony of what happened again last summer was that okay disaster struck the beach and all the stuff was left and then people were complaining the next day that it was there when they arrived why didn't somebody clean this up for us we shouldn't you know? basically the Irish we shouldn't be allowed out should we like you know <laughs> yeah. keep us indoors you haven't said that just yeah. in, in, in the Irish defence <laughs> there's no other country I see where you see strangers going along the roads picking up the litter mm. and so there are yeah, there is I'm a very good yeah, yeah, like you'd see it a lot here where well, there'd be people yes. just for nothing. With our tidy towns yeah. people in there. Yeah. They are, but mm. it's it's it that's one aspect of it. So it is a consciousness. Oh no! I mean, I think look at yeah. I me. Mean, the tidy towns. I mean, those people do amazing work. Mm, you know, yeah. in relation to trying to look and at that's the areas. Vast majority. I mean, the question I ask them all the time: Do you not get annoyed and? cursing and swearing <laughs> that you do this today and somebody else flings the stuff out and yes. you have to do it again. But I mean you drive out some of the areas around here and you see mattresses and you I see know. stuff yeah. and I mean you're kind of going please I mean or what really 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 annoys me is you see the you know the fast food cartons obviously yeah. thrown out someone's window. Freak. Could you not just yeah. keep you're in the car could you not keep it for another like five more minutes till you go home but they chuck it out, and and you it's see, absolutely. it's disgraceful. It's I mean, disgraceful. now I think the one thing I do, I think it's good, is that we're moving towards you know the the, the zero plastic. Mm. Yeah. So at least it probably would break down, Eventually. you know. But it's just I don't understand why people can't have a a conscious you know, enjoyment in their own area of which they will then look after. Absolutely. Because, you know, if we make it right. all better for everybody else. But yeah. and, and back to the alcohol then, do you think that the bylaws should be put in place? Is it mm -hmm. as simple as that? He, yes, but... but. But how do how we do enforce them? them? I mean, like, I mean, this is the problem. I mean, we can well, have all see, the law laws we want. Be, put a, you, need, you need to put a standard operating procedure behind mm. a law. Mm. Do you know, everything has to have. This is the law, and this is how we, we will operate the law. Yes. So I like the idea of the rangers. If yeah. we had rangers, or like, you know, we, we have we our have ticket wardens, warden. and we have wardens, wardens who could do it. If yeah. you had them, you know, circulated around the parks, maybe it creates more employment. It would be great. Right. Uh, but of course, the first thing we do then is figure out a way around it. Of course, we would. Yes. Well, well, I know that you go over to a group of young lads and you ask them for the name so you can deliver them a fine and of course needless to say one is going to be Homer Simpson and the yeah. other I mean it's just not going to yeah, yeah. yeah but the John park, some of the park rangers in Killarney like they'd be roughly twice the size of me <laughs> you know and they come up in their jeep and they get out and they say guys clean up that now come on yeah. and it happened you know it happens to all of us and you mm -hmm. clean it up and right. then the next time you see the you see the jeep going around the park they go at 10 miles an hour it absolutely works. You're like, right. I am not dealing with this guy okay, today. Well, 100%. Maybe, maybe, but isn't that, isn't that back to where, I mean, you know, the community policing that I remember when I was growing yeah. up, I mean, that I mean, I grew up in Kinsale and the local sergeant, I mean, he knew it was causing trouble and yeah. you didn't mess with him, like, you know? Absolutely. But, and I mean, if you did sap out a line, there was kind of a, you probably got a clip around the ear. Now, probably, yeah. I'm not saying that this is the right way to deal yeah, with it, but, yeah, yeah. but there was sort of... It was the, effective. It was effective. And I mean, the, I mean, now where, I mean, I've seen you know guards go up to and and i mean it has no impact on on yeah. younger people yeah, now and i mean yeah, like yeah, myself yeah. and shawnee we were probably of similar ages and we grew up like yeah. you you had a fear of uh, not a fear but you had a respect for authority because Absolutely. if you went home if you didn't get it and they went up and told your dad i was get definitely gonna funny enough yeah, I, yeah. i'm looking at the screen in front of me and that's the word that's coming up all the time is respect just yeah. respect yeah. both yeah. For, for for the area and for the people involved as well. yeah. all right let me take a break we'll be back with our panel in a moment Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, you're very welcome back to our Friday panel. And uh, Paula is with us and Shawnee and uh, Mark. Uh, Michael D. Higgins, he called for homework to be banned in Ireland. Now, I think in fairness to the man, he was asked this question by some students from St. Kevin's National School in Littleton. This was on, on RTE News today. And, and he came up with this. So I'm not sure quite how serious he was about it. But anyway, it certainly has uh, started a debate uh, big time. Mark, can I start with you on, on this? No homework. Let, let, let's, let's take that he meant in primary school. Yeah. Um, do you think he has a point? I think he has he has an element of a point up to a certain maybe up to a certain point in 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 primary school in primary school. I mean, yes, certain young kids. Mm. No, they shouldn't be getting homework. I don't think, but maybe in fifth and sixth class they may should be starting to get into it. I think. I mean, I think the purpose of homework, and I mean, I suppose apart from the fact that you have to do this extra work to be done, it does do some self. Um, learning um, discipline yeah. about having to be able to work on your own, which will become. In, in your work environment critical to being able to function mm. in a work environment where you and do college, have to work. And college, of course, as well. well college as yeah. well, because yeah. you can do whatever you want. I mean, college is up to yourself. I mean, mm. no one's going to check it. You've mm. got to fail your exams. Mm. So I think having this and learning this as it progresses, I mean, I think to an extreme level in secondary school where people are getting like four and five hours of homework is just extreme, you know, in that in that respect. Mm. But I think it should be something that's gradually built. In, in the younger ages in primary school, absolutely not. I mean, I think that let, let the kids learn in, 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 a, in a way. Maybe in fifth and sixth class, you maybe start to introduce very small elements of it. But certainly then in, as we progress into, into secondary school, I mean, homework is a part of the developmental exercise, in my opinion. Like I'm, I've no, I don't have kids, so I can't mm. comment in that way. But you see people who who can work independently in work, who are very good at having tasks. They go off and they do stuff. They come back and that's and that self discipline of being able to kind of do some work and stuff. And I think, I suppose, people have found much more so now that we're working remotely, mm. where you aren't been you know been looked over and you you are essentially getting homework mm. in the in the context of business that is becoming much more important i think now in nowadays um but yeah i mean in some respects no i i, I think not a, a ban but i think i mean let's let's manage it correctly in the in yes. in, in primary school paula what's your experience with this uh, well i've had i have kids of all varying ages mm. so eldest 27 youngest mm. is 12 mm. and there's there's a lot of them um i think homework should be banned I'm of the opinion. Should I absolutely take in, on board? In primary? And secondary. And secondary? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I think, you know what I mean? So I, I take it from my experience. So I have kids with special needs. And homework is a challenge. And always was a challenge with them. Um, you know, tears, anxiety attacks, trying to get assignments done. And yeah, you can deal, deal with children on a case-by-case basis, absolutely, if they have special needs. And I'm very lucky. I have a fantastic school that supports that. However... It's 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 just too much on them. I find, you know, the homework is way too long in Ireland. In the likes of, the, say, Finland, there was a report on, the, I think they do about, the maximum they give homework is about an hour and a half, two hours mm. per week. Something like that will be better. Um, and every child is different. So where you might say, oh, you should only take them, your child 20 minutes to do homework, it could take another child two hours. Yes, of course. You yeah. know, and... Another thing I was kind of considering is kids are involved in so many after-school activities. Mm. When are they going to do the homework? When can they get the homework done if they're doing the well, homework they at 10 o'clock at night? 
they're yeah. going to be exhausted going to yeah. school the next day so their learning capabilities are reduced because they're so tired you know the health of the student can be impacted from homework because they're becoming anxious about trying to get an assignment done yes um, that's going to impact them so I think homework is, is not a great thing I think it either should be significantly reduced or got rid of completely and to play into your own field of expertise Shawnee I mean the other point the president made was that you know it would give kids more time to engage in more creative pursuits outside of the, the school I presume that you'd go along with that would you? Uh, no, absolutely not would uh, you not? I think oh. he's living in cloud cuckoo land do you? yeah absolutely yeah. you know if you think that kids are going to come home from school and start drawing and painting um, <laughs> well then he you know he needs to go in and check himself a little bit you know um, he's also he he has always lived a little bit in cloud cuckoo land, but I think he's even uh, going further. Well, like yourself, he's a poet, you see. And he's a well, he calls himself a poet, <laughs> like myself. Lots <laughs> of people call themselves poets, you know. Um, you know, it's you know, it's very subjective whether we are or not. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, we right. usually find that out long after we're gone. Yes. But on the subject, and it is a complex. Mm. complex subject to cover in a couple of minutes I think it's one area where um, special needs education has completely elapsed like if you're going to have homework then it's part of their education and you can't just send like if you have a, if you have a student who needs special needs in school you're sending them home without special needs and you're saying go go mm. and do your own thing and the amount of pressure the amount of stress that that brings to the parents um People need special needs assistance in the first place because it's an assistance. Mm. And if they're going to continue doing homework, then they need mm. to... Um, Funny cal- enough, though, Dorothy Ryan Purcell, I'm not sure if you heard, spoke to us earlier on, her son, uh, Nicholas Ryan Purcell, is a filmmaker, but uh, is autistic. And she said that without homework, they wouldn't have discovered earlier um, that that he had special needs and that it was necessary, Paula. Does that make any sense well, to I you? I discovered, I suppose, my my eldest son, who's dyslexic, I discovered he was dyslexic by reading stories at night time to him. And I'd say, I'd read a story and I'd say, oh, you read it after me. You know, we'd be sitting down in the bed or whatever. And he was, he actually has a photographic memory. So he actually memorised it. One night, the storybook, the pages got stuck together because he was drinking hot chocolate. And he was, I moved on two pages, but he was going from memory of the page beforehand that we skipped. Mm. So yeah. a parent can, you can, for from a mother with children with various different special needs, I, 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 I knew there was an issue and then I was able to engage with the school. Um, so that, that's right, but thing. it wasn't through homework. It wasn't it was through, through homework. Your own it was through activity. Sitting yeah. down, reading reading a storybook, and I, you read your storybooks to your kids going to bed at night, or you you know you do whatever, um, and that's how we discovered it. Yeah. So like yeah. I have horrible memories of it, Mark, because I remember you go in the next day and it will be corrected, Absolutely. and there'll be all sorts of rerogs, rulabula at that point. Then yeah, I suppose yeah, I'm, I suppose I was I suppose lucky in that I didn't find it that overly stressful mm. for me, but I know some some people who did. Um, I mean, I think. And I mean, again, I'm talking from no experience. I have no children. I understand that. And I, and I mean, I haven't exposed into the education system. But do we not? I, I think there's a move towards protecting our children to such extent is that they're not exposed to anything that is adverse. Um, and then on that basis, then how do they deal in life when things become a little bit more adverse? If they if they it's like a gradual like like training. I mean, you don't suddenly go and run a marathon. What you do is you start off slowly and gradually build up. And is it not an opportunity in schools to to introduce them to controlled levels of, say, stress or having to do stuff at a level that can be controlled as they grow to, and then learn? And But I think mm. what the schools don't do is is teach kids 
um, how to deal with stress. I mean, mm. and, and, and how to and manage it. And then there should be kind of ways, there should be part of their education should be, okay, you have stress. So these are techniques that you should be dealing with how to deal with it. That should be part of, of the curriculum because as we grow older, you know, we know stuff happens and then we have to learn to deal with it. And people, mm. you know, you people deal with it in different ways. And, and does this play into conversations that you and I would have had in the past where you can't have a loser in a race anymore? Oh, look, I mean, don't gets don't get me started on, on everyone's is, a winner. Like, is is I mean, that? Yes. The way yeah. you put that is so funny. But, <laughs> But it, it, does it play into that as well? Yeah, that, it's like the school sports. Yeah, school anxious. sports say everybody gets a medal. I mean, yeah. no. I mean, you know, sport is is winning and losing to a certain extent. Um, I mean, yes, we should respect everyone. But I mean, you know, the reality is that not everybody can win. You know, mm. and, that, and that's it. And and then dealing with disappointment because I didn't is part of life. Yeah, yeah. But, what, but on that subject, um, people, there's some people that are running races at say in the sports day and they're just not good at sports but yes. they're, they're pushed into it yeah, and that, so, that shouldn't happen either. well well in the reality so yeah, by yeah. default they become they become in inverted commas losers mm. and mm. if you're going like education is individual yeah and you could have someone in the class that has severe dyslexia and the teacher isn't really interested in it you know mm. and he's giving algebra and and whatever he's t t sending him home mm. and so the next day obviously and and the day he's doing right. the homework, that child is distressed. Yeah, but this is happening in every class yeah. because yeah. everyone is different. We know we've moved on from the whole phase of, I'm the teacher. There's twenty eighty. Learn it. Come in tomorrow. If you don't have it, there's going to be trouble. Mm. That's over. Those days are gone. Mm. There are people in the class who struggle with maths, who struggle with English, who struggle full stop, who mm. have ADHD, who have whatever. I don't even want to be labelling it, to be honest. Who are do, just you, do you feel for teachers now, Paula? Because, I, do. I mean, you know how complex the classroom has become. I'm very lucky. I have a great relationship with the the teachers my, my my children are involved in in the SNAs and stuff like that so I can I can send an email I can talk I go in for meetings and stuff like that but teachers do it is difficult there is so much um, that they have to handle and deal mm. with and I actually think the getting rid of homework will make their life a little bit easier where they can things like they can focus on how life skills you know that can be added to the curriculum a little mm. in in more detail I know they have things like mm. enterprise and all this in secondary mm. school but life skills can be added, how to cope with anxiety can be added to curriculum, how to deal with, you know, assignments within the school environment, not carrying the big, huge, heavy school bag, because mm. believe me, that still goes on, home uh, to sit down at a table and spend the next two and a half, three hours doing homework. Yes. Um, you know, so that would be supportive and to And I couldn't help well. because we were talking earlier on about the RSE, which is the sex education in, yeah. in, in, in the schools. Very contentious indeed. Mm. Some people are very, very angry about this on both sides. Um, but again, the responsibility on the teacher, you know. Mm, it's massive. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, but so. it's also, I mean, I think it goes as well as, I mean, I think when I think there seems to be a move to moving sort of the, you know, religion out of the schools mm. as well is a good mm. move because, I mean, that should be that should be for the individuals to deal with within their particular church or, or religion that they want to do with outside the schools and leave the schools for education. And I think the space that should be given up, is, as Paula said, to life skills, you mm. know, dealing with anxiety. So when you say leave it health. for education, do you think RSE has a part oh, in that? Oh, within education for yes. sure. Oh, oh do absolutely, you? yeah. Okay. But right. also, I mean, like, I mean, how many adults struggle with mental health issues or don't even know how to deal with it or where to go to, and and how much is this, you know, a, basically looked on in a very, very, you know, bad way? There's just there's kids, there's kids who have mental health issues but who can't even discuss it because they, because it's it's still a bad word in, yeah. in Irish society. Yeah. And if we're start, we should be dealing with this at a very, very early age with kids and allowing them to express themselves mm -hmm. if they have issues. And that should be part of the school curriculum. Now, you would probably for sure have to get 
maybe a specialist teacher comes into the school once a month. Well, that was thing. going to be my next yeah. point. So, I mean, you where do you get the expertise? Yeah. I mean, from something what you're like that, like yeah. maybe like really, like you know, the sexual education should mm. be a specialist teacher who knows how to deal with, it, rather than pushing it on a teacher who's trying to do everything. Yes, that you have, you know your mental health teacher you you know someone who could deal with that and then you have a teacher who can deal with, with, with sexual education as well who would who would just maybe move you around could, the schools you could have a role which focuses on life skills sexual education yeah. and stuff that's what their primary you know yeah. purpose is mm. and, and have them within the school environment that they're actually employed as a teacher for well, that core yeah. subject yeah. And, and across the, and have it included as part of the curriculum for whatever right. yeah. you know whether it's home economics and of course or whatever. We're, we're back to resources then Paula it's back that's, to resources you know. but we have to focus on on, on support for you know these are our future these are our future pension you know yeah. creators mm. like but is it not better to deal with the with the with the problem rather than rather yes. than the end of yeah. what, what what would be the outcome what about that Johnny do you do you see that there's a specialization needed with with teachers for for what we're talking about here the problem is when like for instance if you if you replace religion with something else what is the something else and it usually becomes a sort of pseudo religion mm. like secularism mm. like and then people get obsessed with that and uh, you know, I wouldn't be a huge church goer, but I would, I would, I would be in favour of keeping. Uh, like we're a Christian nation, as far as I'm concerned. Well, not many more. They tell ah, us. Ah, no, we are. I mean, come mm. on. I, uh, less, I and, less and less so. Mm. Less and less so. But you know, we are a Christian nation, and. D- I, I've lived in uh, Berlin and mm. it's a very progressive, very wake society over mm. there, to put it mildly. And they get rid of the religion and then it gets replaced with another agenda. Mm. And the other agenda, someone's making decisions. But would that and agenda not be like, you know, as we just discussed there, like uh, sexual health, mental health, mm. as part of that and, that, replace, well, that's and the way take the religion that's, out of it? That's the, well, who's, that's the way they wrap it up. Mm. Everything well, the, has I, an agenda. Right. Everyone has an agenda. So... Um, again, like if you speak to anyone, especially young, uh, are you talking about the woke agenda would re- re- replace the religious teaching? Then is that it? Already is. Yeah, do you think so, Paula, Paula? Do you have an opinion on that? Um. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I know just, you're not talking about your own specific specific thing. So, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't follow a mainstream religion. You know, mm. um, I think all, you know, my, I'm of the view that all religions should be taught in school. You should have an understanding of everything that's out there, so you can be more accepting. Mm. Because you know, because yeah. you become biased to your yeah. own, you know, and again, that could be included in life yeah. skills. Learn about I, I Hinduism. Agree. Learn yeah. about Muslim. Learn yeah. about, mm. you know, the Kabbalah, or whatever. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But educate them so they have a broad knowledge. Don't just focus on one. Mm. Do you know what I mean? One is not better than the other. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. But you know, I don't think there's any agenda in in, in teaching children to have a broad scope. I think there is an agenda when you just focus on one religion. Oh, I, to- I totally agree. I mean, I think you know, things like having in the schools, having like, you know, confirmation being done within the mm. schools and, and mm. you know, communion being done within the schools is very focusing on a particular religion. Now, I don't mind schools having particular religious ethos. Yes. That's fine. But I think I totally agree with, with Paula is that we should be teaching about all the different t- so that we can have. I mean, ignorance is ignorance is what causes an awful lot of strife. And if we don't understand what people are talking about because we're listening to it on YouTube or something like, you know, we're, mm. we're picking it up from not a... A, a proper source if you want to call it that way I think if we can understand everyone surely that's going to make it better and maybe come back to maybe if we have understand everybody right. since we have it maybe that's a better society yeah and just to finish up on this the, the future of education here and that notion that I mean Shawnee's saying we're still a Christian country and that but I mean it's 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 becoming more and more secularised isn't it you know mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. But that's very pur- that's very purposeful. But wh- where is that coming from, Johnny? Where, where? It's coming. It's coming. Like we have, if you speak to any young person, and I can absolutely un- understand it. They're like I don't go to church. 
I don't really care for church. Uh, that's old Ireland. But a lot of our history is intertwined with Christianity. I mean, literally all our history is intertwined with Christianity, mm. if you actually look at it. So if you're going to teach other religions, I think you need, you need to say first, look, we are essentially historically a Christian nation. Mm. Yes, I don't agree. Don't but, agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But... Yeah. There are other options. Yes. Yeah, and these are the other options. Well, that would be fine. Wouldn't totally it? Yeah. agree. And like, the yeah. thing is, you know, if a child is not forced to go to Mass, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was exactly. forced to go to Mass and I had to know, know what, the, what, the, 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 what was the, the gospel of the day was, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I must leave it there. But My what God, I, peace is broken out in the panel. What? <laughs> yeah, that worries me greatly. Um, thanks to our wonderful panel today, Johnny Clifford, uh, Mark Small and Paula Carney, Hofter as well. Thank you all for coming into us today. That's it for me, Emma, produced Ali Looks After Our Content, Stephen's on the way. I will talk to Monday, bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.